<clears throat> All right, everyone, welcome into the Buttered Popcorn Podcast. Here with me today is my lovely wife, Mrs. Taylor Crumman. A debut. It is a debut. Wow. Grow that Do you feel special? Audience. No, because what people don't know is behind the scenes when we're laying in bed, I hear the same clip being edited over and over. Well, now you get to hear it with your own voice. And now I'm going to hear it with my own voice, which is a personal kind of torture, I feel like. <laughs> but yeah, I'm ready. I'm excited. I'm on the other side. I appreciate the production that goes into this that I just witnessed. Yeah. You know, she always gave me shit because in the early episodes, Elliot would always give me a hard time about everything I did to get ready or the Wi-Fi. I guarantee you after this, you're going to give me a hard time because it took maybe a half an hour to finally get this set it up did. how I wanted. But I'm actually, I'm so proud of you because I saw when it was like a baby podcast, just bros, you know, obviously taking it seriously, but like, you know, just having fun in the bedroom and, you know, FaceTiming each other and talking about movies. And it's really grown into like an actual production. There's lighting, there's mics, there's testing. Yeah. Sometimes headphones. Sometimes headphones. I was really excited. I'm sad that I didn't get to wear like cool looking podcasty headphones. Oh. Maybe I'll <laughs> buy a second pair for the next time you appear. But I'm really excited about this because what are we talking about today, babe? <laughs> we are talking Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer. It has been a week since we have seen both. I know. That was a lot. I will say bef- this weekend, obviously... I'm your wife and I know that you love movies and I love that for you. Um, but I will be honest, I didn't get it. You know what I mean? Like it was the hype? no, no, no. Like your love for movies. Oh. Like I could never just go to the theater and just see anything by myself. And just like, that's a Tuesday afternoon. And I loved it for you. You're like, babe, do you care if I go see a movie? Knock your socks off kid. But <laughs> I didn't. I knew you found joy in it, but it wasn't like, it's not the same thing for me. Yeah. Same experience. It's what I, you fall asleep to. Right. Like it's a different, <laughs> we we experience cinema very differently, but I will say that this weekend with almost pretty much a back-to-back feature. Yeah. So we saw Barbenheimer at what? 1030 on 10:30 Friday, night. Friday night. Didn't get home till 2am. Easily 2.30. Yeah. And then we woke up the next morning at nine o'clock to go see the 10 o'clock showing of Barbie. Yeah. So I count that almost. It wasn't technically like the same night, it, but it was like a double feature. It's in the same like. It's as close as you can get to a double feature without it being a double feature. Right. So I'll just call it for the sake of the podcast today. I'll call it a double feature. But I was, it was two movies that I was really excited about. I was really excited. I mean, because we've seen movies together, obviously. Yeah. Like even before we were married or dating or anything. I was going to say, yeah, we've been seeing movies since high school together. Yeah. So a really long time. And so obviously we've seen movies together, but. You know, I feel like I would easily go just to hang out and just, you know, oh, a cool movie. But this I was actually really excited about. And I feel like I got a little taste of what you feel every time you go to the movies. And I thought that was really well, yeah. cool. Like, this was an event for people. Now, was it like, the trailers that got you excited or was it me just talking about it probably every day for the last month? For the sake of you and our audience, I will say that you talking about it got me <laughs> so excited. No, I just... I. Okay, first of all, I I love history. I love I don't I love Killian Murphy. Yeah, you've told me plenty of times. You can refer to me for the rest of this podcast as Mrs. Shelby if you want to. No, that's Grace. <laughs> yeah, that's Grace, my girl. Nobody can replace her. But um, 
Yeah. So I was just really, I love, first of all, what struck me with Oppenheimer was the cast. You have Killian Murphy, you have Emily Blunt, you have Florence Pugh. Rami Malik, Robert Downey Jr. Jr. Uh, Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman, spoiler alert. Casey Affleck. I mean, I don't really know if that counts as a spoiler. Well, I, w- I just wasn't expecting Yeah, I, I also wasn't. Right. Yeah. Now, so, I mean, there might be people that noted or knew he was going to be in it prior, but me, I was avoiding everything about this movie. Yeah. I didn't see one single trailer leading up to it. Yeah, Matt Damon. I mean, just like a really star-studded, but so well, like just I actors and actresses that I like their work. So I was yeah. really excited to see that. And then Barbie, love Margot Robbie. And I want to state right here and now, Margot has never been mid. She will never <laughs> be mid. Whoever in- said that was out of their mind and has never talked to a woman or even looked at a woman with two right eyes looking like blind. Yeah. Never been mid. Will never be mid. Fourth wall says she's not mid. Anyways. And so any little girl, I feel like that grew up with Barbie was really excited. I love Margot. I don't think there's a better casting for a Barbie. Oh, no. I think she is the epitome of Barbie. Yeah. Like she was the perfect. And not just physical too. I was, I was thinking about this a lot. Like, obviously she's got the look, right? She's like the blonde and blue eyed. Um, I, I read somewhere that there was a whole skincare routine to give like the, the doll ish. Oh, really? I missed um, that. I mean, that sounds like more your forte. That sounds than like mine. my for you page. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> um, but also I think the spin that she put on Barbie because Margot is a phenomenal actress. I think that you said that she's probably one of the best right now. She's um, yeah. Easily. Currently working. She's got to be top. Seven. Yeah, exactly. I was I was gonna say top five. Yeah, I was debating it. I so and she her range is phenomenal. Her characters that she portrays are phenomenal. And I feel like she brought like an emotional and like really complicated, I mean, and positivity. Like there was a certain I feel like aspect that needed to be conveyed for this Barbie movie. And I oh, feel yeah. like they nailed it. Well, and Ryan I, Gosling, who doesn't love Ryan Gosling? I love Ryan I, Gosling. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> um no, but you said emotional for Margot Robbie. And I feel like that's one thing, like, m- a lot of, like, average moviegoers don't talk about enough. Because, like, you know, I'm not trying to be that guy. But Margot Robbie is, like, one of the hotter actresses right now working. So, like, people will really talk about her for Wolf of Wall Street. But yeah. they won't talk about the emotional acting that she does. The and appeal, not Yeah, the... she doesn't, they don't talk about her in I, Tanya or Babylon. You haven't seen Babylon? But there's this scene. I see clips where yeah. she's like fantastic. Well, yeah, and there's this scene where she's trying to become an actor in the 20s, which is when that movie takes place. Is and it the, the cry scene? Yeah, the director like yeah, asks her to man. cry, but yeah. like back then, like it was unheard of for actresses or actors to be able to just cry like that, and like she did it. And so, like it's stuff like that, and like Margot was like, "Yeah, I actually was able to just cry automatically." Like she is a phenomenal actor, and people, you know, guys specifically need to look past. Her attractiveness and actually you know realize she is Which, one of the best working actresses what a great segue to talk about barbie yeah so we are going to start diving into spoilers so if you have not seen either of these movies yet turn, turn off. off the episode <laughs> uh i will put down in the description of this episode the clips of where you'll be able to come back and listen to if you want to jump forward um because i'm sure We'll talk about other things that won't be spoiler or maybe even movie related. What kind of psychopath listens to a podcast about Barbenheimer if they haven't experienced Barbenheimer? Just don't do that. 
Yeah, but I still want to throw in, you know? No, fair. The precaution. So, And also, do you just call some of my audience members psychopaths? I mean, I married you, so I feel like I already have the upper hand on that. They shouldn't be offended. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. You might be a psychopath just for marrying me. Yeah, and I, before, I know we said we were going to dive in. I digress. Um, But for anybody who doesn't know this story, if there's still anybody in the universe who hasn't heard it, just to give you an idea, a better picture of your host and his love for all things cinema. The very first time I told you that I loved you. Okay, give this some background. I, <laughs> you were watching a movie and I said, I think I'm falling in love with you. And you were like, this has been such a great film. And we still got married. So I would like to preface this <laughs> by saying, one we were not dating at the time we were not we were just friends however she had come down to the marine corps ball with me she was my plus one she was my plus one on a new year's trip to tennessee that we do with my friend group the more you explain and then just yeah no i know i'm kind of (laughs) however it has never been undershadowed how much i adore movies yeah so i was so i was very invested ratatouille is a top three pixar movie i was so deadlocked in and you just lean up you didn't say anything prior to grab my attention yeah. you just went hey i think i'm in love with you and my dumb male brain was like um great movie um, yeah if you would have been like hey can we talk out of positive maybe conversation would have gone different always maybe pause. We, yeah maybe yeah you know you have to get my attention why do you know yeah you've known me for the, 20 years learned. anyways i would love to know from your male perspective, male brain, what was your takeaways from Barbie? Okay, so spoilers start now. Yeah. <laughs> so this movie's like a lot about the patriarchy of America in itself. I mean, you could say the whole world, but it mainly focuses on America. For me, I would say it's mainly like I knew Greta Gerwig. She is a very, you know, like woke director. So I'd have been of previous knowledge going into it that that's sure. what it was going to be about and like really it, if you know that like you can laugh at it or if you just know not to take a barbie movie seriously you can laugh at it and enjoy yourself because adult males me are not the target demographic for this movie it's arguably like teenage women because i i wouldn't say this is for kids Age appropriate kids. Yeah, like I has, feel like if you has, took your young your young daughters to see that, a lot of humor would go over their head. Yeah, like this. Is I remember, a, I remember you looked over at me. You know, we got you know right into the beginning of the movie, and I, you know, maybe twenty minutes in, and you looked over and we're like, "This movie should not be this funny." Like you laugh yeah. out loud. Yeah. Which I wasn't. Well, ex- I don't know what I was expecting, but you're a little girl. You grew up with Barbie. It's a Barbie movie. I wasn't really sure. And I don't know directors and works and stuff like you do. So yeah. Greta, that doesn't give me any insight. So I like our, you know, our different views and stuff. I will say for anybody who saw Barbie, who didn't get at least a little bit of enjoyment out of it. Or ben Shapiro. took at Ben Shapiro. <laughs> or um, got a little bit of enjoyment out of it or understood the bigger means behind it that movie was for you so watch it again <laughs> well yeah and like like i was saying like this isn't made for kids but like it's got a very appropriate pg-13 rating yeah like I, i'd say young teens or like tweens is the target demographic 
like yeah. where you want them um and anyone older obviously but like the thing is too like everyone is walking away like oh it's so dumb it just attacks males this that and the other fuck you like no it doesn't because at the very end of the movie after he what's what does he call it the super casa mojo dojo house um mojo dojo casa house yeah ken's mojo dojo casa house when barbie takes it back from him literally there's i don't know five minutes of dialogue where it's Barbie explaining, because the entire movie Ken saying that like the highlight of his day is when Barbie just looks at him. So like that entire five minute dialogue at the end is just her explaining to Ken that he needs to find out who he is as a man without, you know, emotional connection to her. Yeah. And apologizing like, for Barbie, Barbie world and all the Barbies, how they have treated the Kens and maybe overlooking them. Cause okay. um, We should preface this by saying Barbie, when we reference Barbie world, Barbie world is take our real life and make it the complete opposite. You got female presidents, you got female Supreme Courts, women run everything. And the I men, don't even know if they said men have a job in that world. No, they just beach. Yeah, they beat, <laughs> they're going to beat each other off. They're going to beat each other off for sure. No, but um, so picture like a stereotypical 1950s housewife in our world is like Ken's. Yeah. So that's a really good comparison. Yeah. So. But, you know, and I'm not, I don't like being very political. I don't talk about, I just don't find enjoyment or point in doing that. But for the sake of this, you know, conversation about Barbie, obviously that's a big theme is feminism. And I personally believe that feminism is about equality, you know, acknowledging that men and women are different and we have different strengths, we have different weaknesses, but that doesn't make one better than the other. And I think that was the whole point of the movie because Barbie world failed. They let down the Kens, yeah. which led to the the revolt in the movie yeah, anyway. The revolution. But Ken world also let down all the Barbies. It failed. You know, it wasn't a good place for the Barbies. And so the point that you get to at the end of the movie was I'm Barbie and you're Ken, not Barbie and Ken. But I'm not Ken enough. You are Ken enough. You're oh, kind of hey, I think that's the nicest thing you ever said hey. to me. Oh God. Um <laughs> so I think that was I think that's as a really big overarching theme, like you know, in this world, it's not about like if you're gonna talk about our real life, it's not about, you know, um women are better, we should just replace all the men and be all the CEOs and all the big, you know, positions and run everything. The point of it was to acknowledge that the Kens have a place, they have their own identity, Barbies have their own identity. Sorry, Moe's Mo is in here. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, and they could be equal. They can exist with each other, you know, because she has this great quote of, you know, it doesn't always have to be girls' night. At, at Barbie's dream house yeah um, but if you look about and I think this is really cool and I had in my notes to mention talking about where Barbie originated and her reasoning for originating and what that movie makes you know go from when Barbie was created and then today's Barbie what that movie meant for Barbie because when Barbie was created right they have that scene um tribute to 2001 space odyssey yeah which i think was really cool which i also um, think is hilarious because i think that's the only part of 2001's a space odyssey you've seen yeah which is great i recognized it you you would hate that movie but, <laughs> but um 
But the creator of Barbie, the point, the reason why she made this doll was because up until that point, it's just Barbie dolls. So just teaching these young girls how to be moms, just they, they mother, they take care of their babies, yeah. they have bottles. And so the point of Barbie was to show that girls can be doctors and lawyers and yeah, president you can be and astronauts and a vet or, you know, a vet and all these, you know, crazy things, which at that time, you know, was probably a little bit taboo. Like Barbie's wearing pants and Barbie does more than cook and, you know i guarantee you there was guys back then that tried to cancel barbie well and then barbie got this negative connotation because you know they say that barbie gave girls you know body image issues because her proportions if you put that on an yeah. actual human looks ridiculous and they and cover that in the movie too they do and i thought the cast was amazing there's hispanic barbies black barbies i suspect i don't know for sure did we ever find out if there was a trans barbie they didn't say it directly, but that Barbie is, I think, a trans. A bar- trans I forget actress. which. I forget which Barbie it is, but I believe I don't know if she's a trans actress. We, you keep talk going. I'll try and figure it out. Yeah. So, anyways, I just watching. It was not that big of a deal. But, anyways, my point. I digress again. Was the cast is so diverse? I mean, you have all different color skin tones, um, all different co- you know backgrounds, and they're all different Barbies. Um, with Margot being stereotypical Barbie. Um, so I have the answer. Yeah. So the highly anticipated Barbie film features Philly-born trans actress, I hope I pronounce this properly, Hari Neff. Okay. Uh, as one of the many Barbies in Barbie land, Neff's casting in the film's focus on inclusiveness. Yeah. If so, But and my point, I don't want that to turn anybody away from the film because it's phenomenal. You blink and you you miss her. Um yeah, but I, I mean, she blends if, in with all the other Barbies. Even if that's turning you away from the film, grow the fuck up. <laughs> Again, that film is for you then, I feel like. <laughs> and it, so, but it's not like in your face. I didn't feel like, oh my God. Like there are some companies or movies or shows where you're like, okay, like I watched this to escape real life, not to, you know, go over the issues from it. But I thought it was such a harmonized cast. I loved it. I loved everyone. Yeah. Even Michael Sarah in this was cracking me up, and yeah. you are not a Michael Sarah fan. Well, I don't know if I've ever seen enough to not or be, you know. I, you always just say he weirds you out, which is fair. Which is why they made him Alan. Yeah, because who? Why? Why wouldn't Alan weird you out? <laughs> but I, I just think it's really cool. Alan, Alan um, cracked me up throughout the whole movie. I thought the cast was was amazing. Um, Did you ever hear how Ryan Gosling told? Greta Gerwig that he would be in the movie I did not I knew I thought he said he did it for his <laughs> so, daughters well so he was bouncing around the idea in his head and um he was like out back I think he already did his audition or they didn't even have him audition I could be wrong on that but he was out back in his backyard uh kind of cleaning up after the day and he saw his daughter's barbie in a mud puddle face down next to a lemon slice i feel like i <laughs> and he took a picture of it sent it to greta gerwig yes and said ken's story needs to be told i'm in that's fantastic <laughs> which is the most ryan gosling answer it I've is ever. and he makes a perfect ken he did he <laughs> it was phenomenal because i heard a lot of people were complaining like oh he's too old to be ken. he was the perfect ken yeah I... they were the perfect barbie and ken for this movie ryan gosling's in that age for like he could play a father in a movie or he can also still play like the young, arrogant, late 20 year old. Yeah. And I loved it. I loved it. I wouldn't change that. Yeah. 
Now, while, and again, diverse casts. You have all these different color ethnicities and skin tones in Ken's as well. So, yeah. But it doesn't distract from the movie, which I think is really cool. And I think it is homage to all the different Barbies that Mattel made. You know, they they really may not have originated that way, but they grew to include diversity. And they, I think they even have like a, you know, body proportionate Barbie and there's Midge, pregnant Barbie. And um, I think Greta and the rest of the production really like did so much research into oh. Mattel and all the different variations of Barbie. You can see that in the press. Um, Speaking of Mattel, that was one of like the scenes. It shouldn't be funny. But I think the way Greta wrote it and everything else made it funny. But that scene where Barbie's in Mattel's headquarters with Will Ferrell as the CEO. Yeah, that's great. And she was like talking like, oh, you have a woman CFO or CEO. We've had two of them. Yeah, he's like, one was like in. How many more do you want? He was like, one was in like 1970 and the other, well, well, I don't remember when she was. But But we had had two. Um, And I think that's hilarious because it's, you know, we could be a lot worse off. I will say, you know, like, as women, right? Like, we have done a lot of battles. We have won a lot of battles um, until recently. Hashtag Roe v. Vade. Anyway, <laughs> um, no, but I'm saying we, I consider myself very lucky to be a woman in Amer- in the United States, you know, with the freedoms and things that I have. But I like that line because it kind of makes you think, like, look at how far we've come. Like, I talked about, like, Barbie, how it originated versus now but that there's still some work that can be done. And it's like a reminder of that, which I think is really, really good. You well, know, I was going like, to say, I mean, I don't the know. The journey, this, I guess. This could show some of my ignorance. But the women's suffrage movement happened, what, less than a century ago? Well, I, you know, I've been out of school for a minute. Um, <laughs> but they, they, there's been several. Well, the latest one, I think. I'm, I'm talking more 19th Amendment. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you like think less about than it, a century. Well, about I would say hundred years ish. Is that yeah. bad that I don't know it? I I don't know why, but the year nineteen twenty seven is sounding right to me. But that might be too mm-hmm. late. The fact that I don't need your permission to get my own credit card. You know what I mean? Or I don't need well, you to drive me with my to the habits, I might need your permission. Right. So <laughs> you know, but okay. So you know, politics and views and everything aside and ignorance aside, obviously our, our education is lacking tonight. I didn't, I didn't research the women's suffrage movement, but I do know that there's, you know, this has been a constant struggle. It was the, you know, 19th amendment women to vote. It's been, um, obviously like the 70s, 60s, 70s ball, you know, burning our brawls and, you know, being very free and the nineties where we were breaking those glass ceilings and even till now still fighting with, you know, politics and people's views on our bodies. And so I think this movie was such a perfect, a perfect, Greta did a perfect balance of light hearted and humor with a great message behind it. And I think that makes that message, it's going to be so much more receptive. I would, I would see Barbie over and over again. Yeah. Like I can see that being like a, well, a favorite like, to turn on. And we're talking about all these like big kind of comments that happen in the movie, you know, like the CEO or CFO thing with Will Ferrell. But then like also like this smaller details or like comments that are made like when Barbie gets cellulite. Yeah. Like stuff like that. Relatable, like, relatable things. And following that up, um, the two things that I think I was 
gonna hit on with Barbie um, out of the many bullet points that I have because it's so good there. And I feel like I will say I think both Barbie and Oppenheimer, both of them, feel like you'd have to watch more than once to. I feel like you'd find something new each time you watch it. Like there's so much to go into. Um, I feel like that's one of the biggest ways that you can tell the difference between a good and a bad movie. Yeah, there's so like much. if I watch a movie one time, I'm like, I never have to watch it again. I can remember everything that happened. Chalk it down. It's a very mid-level movie. Yeah. But like some of the greatest movies of all time, like 2001's A Space Odyssey, you know, Full Metal Jacket, There Will Be Blood. I'm missing so many good, like Goodfellas. Like you yeah. have to watch them twice to like, they're like pick up on everything you treat. Yeah. And layers and hidden oh yeah facts that you missed the first i mean even time. simple stories like star wars with how good of a movie like oh, empire yeah. strikes back is you it's love it works. even more on the yeah. second watch so but i think the two um the things that i really thought were interesting if we're still going with like the symbolism and the meaning of the movies is who really helped save the day like yes we have barbie and ken but we also have weird barbie barbie with her hair chopped and marker on her face Weird barbie might have been my favorite character and I loved Weird Barbie, which is um, Kate McKinnon, for those That's who haven't name. seen Thank it. Thank you. Yeah, um, I always blank on her name, but I yeah, recognize rec- her every time I see recognize her. She, I think she got her big start in SNL. I, oh, be, yeah. I could be wrong. Yeah, she did a lot of work on SNL with, like, David Spade. Yes. So um, I love Kate McKinnon. I find her funny. Um, and so, but she plays Weird Barbie. But in Weird Barbie, any any girl or boy who grew up playing with Barbies had the weird Barbie where you thought you were a hairstylist and you chopped her hair and maybe she got marker on her face and you lost her actual outfit. So she's in some homemade or from another doll, you know, and she helped save the day. And I thought that was such a cool, cool thing because she's what leads Barbie, you know, Barbie starts getting cellulite and flat feet and that's disgusting. And what is happening? And it's not all magical. And she's having thoughts of death. You know, and she doesn't know what's going on. So she goes to Weird Barbie um, and Weird Barbie helps her understand these feelings and um, is what sends her on to her journey of like self-discovering and goes to the real world. Um, And I thought that was just really cool because I feel like Weird Barbie represented a lot of us, you know, the quiet ones or that kid that you never sat with at lunch, (laughs) you know, yeah, the people who don't fit the mold. Um, which is ironic because Margot is stereotypical Barbie. She's the blonde, the blue eyes, the pink that you would think of when you think of Barbie. Yeah, and it's so Taylor's made these comments about like all these different Barbies or Kens. Like every one of them, like they share the same name. Like they're all Barbie. They all like respond to that, but they all in the movie take on different names. Doctor so Barbie, President Barbie, stereotypical Barbie, weird Barbie. There's Ken. What did they call? Oh, what's his name? Um, what do they call Sima Liu? Do you remember? He's, He's just Ken. Oh, so all the Kens were just all Ken? the Kens are just Ken. Okay, Barbie, like her occupation, oh, is, like okay, there's okay, Dr. Yeah. Barbie. No, yeah, now I remember. Yeah, Dr. Barbie, stereotypical Barbie, weird Barbie. So that's how you can kind of tell the difference like, between what, Barbie, eight Supreme Court Barbies, Supreme Court Barbies. Um, so, anyways, I thought weird Barbie, I thought her role was important one because Kate McKinnon smashed it. Um, and two, because I think, and this is just my opinion for me, symbolized um, misfits, you know, or you're not in perfect condition. 
you know, you're not that mint stereotypical Barbie fresh out of the box. You are, we're banged up in the real world, you know, yeah. and she, cause she's, I think the only Barbie um, in Barbie world that had insight to the real world and knew kind of what yeah. goes on and how yeah. things work. And so it, she's a perfect encapsulation of Barbie world meets real world. And I think that is for the rest of us who are a little banged up and, you know, maybe we don't look perfect and we don't have our makeup done and we have marker on our face. And one of the things I love about weird melted Barbie's- chocolate down our chin or whatever we've been doing. One of the things I love about weird Barbie's house too was like all the discontinued Barbies that were in there though. Yeah. What was it like pregnant Barbie was in there? Um, I, oh gosh, I can't remember her name, but the Barbie, if anybody had it, comment. Because I really want to know if anybody had this Barbie or if your mom or aunts or grandma or whoever had this Barbie. But um, Barbie, where you pulled it and her boobs. Oh. It was, was like. It um, inflatable Barbie? Puberty Barbie. It was like was coming of age Barbie. <laughs> um, yeah. All the all Mattel's um, not so hot or sellable ideas. Um, but again, the misfits, the discard. This is the, yeah. And I feel like a lot of people can relate to that. Well, and like one of the cool scenes too was like when Barbie does first go on the adventure to come to our world. Yeah. Um. So like, if you haven't seen it and you're still trying to listen, I'll explain this scene a little more. So Barbie's getting cellulite. She's having thoughts of death. So she sees weird Barbie and she says that the issue is you need to reconnect with the human that has you. Um, Who's playing with you. Yeah. To like fix that relationship. So she travels to the real world. Um, she's looking and she actually ends up finding the daughter of who ha- has her as a Barbie. But she thinks that it's the daughter, not the mom. Yeah. Plot twist. Well, so, I mean, you picture this teenage girl. Yeah. Who, you know, is probably what, 16. She's in high school. She's she in like her younger than that, her goth you know? phase. You know, mom's not cool. Barbie's not cool anymore. Toss her in the box kind of you know, you outgrew that innocent phase. And so Barbie is going there and she sees her with the brats. Yeah, that's, what, really I was, cool that's what I was leading to is it's these four girls that are like, like, you know, it's not a phase mom. It's kind of how they're dressed, all black, <laughs> kind of grunge, like they don't like the world, everything's negative. And so you don't pick up, or at least we didn't pick up yeah, on when we first watched the movie. We had to find out later after, you know, through social media. That they represented Bratz, Barbie's biggest rival. Yeah. And for me, I was a Barbie's girl. I did not have Bratz. I feel like you were in two groups. You were a Bratz girl or you were a Barbie girl. I don't know what that means for us, but I want to know in the comment. I want to, can our vote for this podcast be for the Barbie portion? Like, were you a Bratz or Barbie girl or guy? Oh. Did you play with Barbies? You know, let's just throw it out to the socials. Comment down below whether you were a Bratz or a Barbie girl. I want to know. And guys, did you secretly play with Barbies? Yeah, it doesn't have to be a secret. We can still play with Barbies. Like yeah. if we no, had, if we had a son, a safe space. You can let me know in the comments. Yeah, if we had a son, would you let him play with Barbies? I don't give a shit. Yeah, I feel like what's what's oh no, respecting <laughs> women and playing with fashion. Like, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> Here's my thoughts. Yeah. On our kids, our future kids. Okay. I don't care if they're gay, straight, bi, whatever. Sure. As long as they don't expect me to change my energy. Whether exactly whether it's a ballet or a football game, I'm coming. We and I'm hyped. We're gonna be those parents. I have a yeah. cooler. I got snacks. Yeah. I will be the snack mom. You think I'm not tailgating whatever event they're doing? You're wrong. Exactly. 
I don't care. And be, be our, what you want to be in. They this will world. have the best. If we need a <laughs> dance costume, if we need, if we need makeup, if we, I got it. We got it covered. So I love that, which is all of. That's what Barbie means. I feel like that's what Barbie's <laughs> going to mean to us. I'm Ken enough. You are there. Everyone is Ken enough. I feel like in their own ways. <laughs> um, I don't know if you had seen this, but another thing that I thought would be really interesting to talk about was I um, maybe like TikTok, Facebook Reels. I don't have the TikTok. I feel like at. Our TikTok age, is my TikTok. At, at our age, even, which is not that old, I feel like I'm already just too old for You've always been an old soul. I yes, I'm an old lady for those of you who don't know me. Um but I saw this Facebook reel um with America Ferreira, who plays um Mattel's employee. Which one? Though like the main character. I'm can't believe I'm blanking on her name. Yes, mom. Oh, okay. America Ferreira. I kind of forgot she worked for Mattel. Yeah, is a Mattel worker. Um, so she works for Mattel and she's the one who's been like doodling Barbie actually because she's missing her daughter. She's going through this stuff in life. It's um, where Barbie's getting the thoughts of death. Thoughts of death. What does she call her? Um, something like it's depression Barbie, but it's it's hilarious because adults will like you go from like innocent, perfect Barbie to like internal dread Barbie. <laughs> oh, I feel yeah, like we yeah, can yeah. all relate to that. So anyway, I saw this um this TikTok with America Ferreira and like a press interview, and she's talking about um for those of you who don't know or get from her name, um she has Latina background, right, um heritage, and so she's talking about how it was really really awesome um for a Latina as herself to get a fun role. It was fun. Oh, really? Yeah. Because, and she's talking about how usually they're casted, typecasted into like the gritty, our struggles. I think she quotes, I think it's quote, if I quote her correctly, um, it's the gritty, the struggle, you know, the dirty, the deportations, the immigration, the, those are the kind of storylines that they get. But this, she just got to be like a fun Latina mom. Yeah. And like, and that was really cool. I thought, I forget the movie that's coming out. Um, but there's this Muslim American actor, uh, Middle Eastern, I don't remember where he's from, but he, he was talking about how he finally got cast in a role where he's not playing the Taliban a terrible, or yeah. ISIS or yeah. Al-Qaeda. Like, and he was saying like how like that's been a long time coming, you know, like yeah. that's what they always got cast as, which is shitty. Yeah, since know, 01, but, we've just been. <laughs> like at the same time, we might, and this is shitty of me to say, but like it's true, like, you know, we might not think of military movies as highly if you know they cast me as one of the <laughs> terrorists you know oh yeah yeah um so like i like that it's you know like factually accurate in those type of movies but like also it's a good thing that they are now getting to the point let's get to the cult let's get to the culture have more to offer yeah now it's still also appreciate like, the individual and not yeah. typecast now which... also fuck sag after for you know not paying their actors because <laughs> we do support the actors strike and everything um so but yeah, I thought that quote was super humbling and really interesting because, you know, as a white woman, that's not really what I, I would ever have to think about, you know, fortunately or unfortunately in the world. Um, so I just I thought that quote was really cool to think about because that's what Barbie is. It's a fun movie. Um, and I don't know. I don't. Did you read anything about like set for Barbie? Tell me more. Yeah, I, of well, course I will. Well, I might have heard what you're going to say, yeah. but I mean, I'm sure a lot of our audience hasn't. Yeah. So, so um, I was actually trying to prepare for the podcast. And um, yeah. by the way, my wife still isn't like 
in the 90s she printed out her notes i'm 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 all about yeah no um spongebob and patrick here we have technology i'm under the rock for sure and i'm not for it um i just i'm old i like to do things this way um but i was again you know the facebook reels the videos or whatever um and i saw this really fun video of if you see the movie i like myself i would assume that there's a lot of cgi no yeah, no, 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 they, like they the, um, there's a scene in Barbie where she's on her journey um, and she has to do all these like funny, silly things to get yeah, the, from flies on a rocket. Yeah. From Barbie world, boat, but like the water Barbie and everything world. looks very obviously fake. Yeah. You know, as it would be in a doll. Well, yeah, 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 That's yeah. what, you know, it's... No, I'm not saying I'm not discrediting movies. No. Like, yeah. But I'm just saying it gives it that doll, that perfect fake light, like what youth would like what a child would draw as waves you know yeah. um but the really cool thing that you know you see that scene and you just automatically in our day and age of cinema you know oh they must have green screened that but it was actually like the boat scene in particular was um you know they had a real boat that they're sitting in and they actually had like the waves and they were painted in such a way to give it like that glassy kind of shiny color and it's on like this rotating like um conveyor system conveyor also. belt yeah. yeah um which is so cool because um and again i'm a movie novice i don't watch movies for these kind of facts i don't research my movies after i watch them typically yeah but i, mean, I don't yeah. i don't think about i'm sure <laughs> i i don't know when the last time like a set was that authentic you know i feel like computerizing digital well, i was gonna say i mean really there's cgi only, is... there's only two directors currently working that are known for building sets every time and that's christopher nolan and quentin tarantino oh your man i love me some tarantino. daddy tarantino yeah kill bill is on um <laughs> but yeah but I, I just thought that was so cool like it was hand painted the background and Greta really had a big hand in what, how she, she knew how she wanted things to look. She wanted it to be fun. She wanted it to be bright. The colors are beautiful. So this is a Barbenheimer episode. Did you know the movies at the start had the same budget? That's crazy. Yeah. And obviously they both, they've surpassed, they've gone beyond. Yeah. We'll get to that in a minute. I have all those stats written down. Yes. But now they started with it. Um, Oppenheimer stayed with a hundred million dollar budget. Yeah, this movie actually got greenlit to get to a hundred and twenty million dollar budget. Still, I mean, you know, obviously twenty million is a substantial difference, but really in the movie world, that's not too far off. That probably went to. Um, it probably went to marketing and costumes. stuff like. I was going to say costumes. Yeah. I another reel that I'd watch. I was so caught up. I was like. Mesmerized. You weren't by... talking to me when we were in our bedroom together. Yeah, I was watching, we're watching, I was watching Oppenheimer. The, I was reels. watching a Killian Murphy interview. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which his interviews are golden. I love them. I love Killian. Killian, if you ever, ever hear this, he won't. He won't because he doesn't do t- He gets me. I mean, we're going to get big enough one day that I'm going to get some actors on here. But I can't wait. Um, um, remember this moment, you guys. Oh, yeah. From our baby audience. Five right years now. from now, I'll be clipping this moment. <laughs> next to me interviewing tarantino oh god um well way to shoot big i love it don't limit yourself oh i got goals but um but no so watching these videos and really kind of getting into it like i was trying to channel my inner husband like you know getting into the mind frame and getting caught up in it and it's so fun and like costume 
Like they really went into, and that's what I'm talking about. Like we could go, we could make this like a five hour podcast if we wanted to divulge every layer of yeah. these, both of these movies. Um, I'm not anywhere close to being done with my Barbie talk. Yeah. Well, I've been talking a lot. Sorry. I've been, I've been taken over. This is a wife takeover. I, I imagine that would be the same way you thought. Like, I feel like I'll talk more. Um, but also, I mean, that's why I like having guests though, is I, I enjoy hearing other people's thoughts about stuff I love. Yeah. Like, I love it. And I feel like that's one of the things where I lack so much though in my like movie criticisms is because genuinely I just, I love movies. I could watch one of the worst movies in the world and I'm still going to be happy. So like, I, I feel like I lack in movie criticism because I just enjoy them so much. Yeah, that's true. And But I love that about you though. It, it's also funny though, because like there's other stuff, like I have one nitpicky thing in Oppenheimer that we'll get to. Is it the legs? Um, and then I have some stuff about Barbie too that I'm going to get to here in a second. Yeah. Continue down your path. Um, yeah, of course. So just all of the detail that went into the costumes, because of course, what's a Barbie without her accessories? Like when you get a Barbie in the box, she comes with an outfit. She comes with shoes and her purse and oh, yeah. all of these things. And they're matching pinks and palettes and yeah. what it looks like on screen. And I was blown away at their costume design. They're, yeah, their costume and set that design was amazing. One of my favorite things, though, you reminded me when you said accessories mm-hmm. was in Barbie world or Barbie land, what are they? Was it? I think it's Barbie world. Okay. Barbie world. It's like Disney. When they what go to it? drink something, they don't drink anything. But then when Barbie gets to the real world and they hand her a slap of water, she threw just it, dumps on it all over. So. The, and I think she mentioned that she's like, I'm not used to stuff actually being in there, <laughs> which is fun. I mean, what, some of those funny moments where you're just like, yeah, this movie has a lot of like those small, like laughable moments, but like, and a lot of those and a lot of other movies are like just chuckable. Like you just chuckle at them. No, these like, maybe the, these like, were like kind of like the, like one of the scenes that honestly made me laugh the hardest though was Michael Sarah's fight scene. Yeah. Where he's just fighting him off all the Kens while they're trying to like block out Barbie. World. I mean, there's a lot of movie like a lot of ones that I think were funny, you know, like you know, as a, like the cellulite that's like she's like, oh my god, like it's the end of the world <laughs> that Barbie has flat feet because she you have that iconic scene of her coming out of her heels and it's like 90 degree on her toes. And then, like, she doesn't know how to walk. You know, she doesn't have her balance because she's flat-footed. And the Barbies are, like, retching. Like, oh, that's disgusting. Blah. And it's it's just it's just funny. And I think it's so funny because if you're an adult and you're watching this film, it reminds you of what, how you, Barbie world is, like, how you saw the world when you were a kid. Yeah. You know, it's so in plain house and plain Barbie and dolls and everything's perfect. And this I know is that a was question really you might be able to answer more. Than yeah. Me. How accurate were the like Barbie houses compared to like what you would get at Toys R Us? I mean, I think it was. Um, were they like modeled pretty accurately? Pretty accurately. I don't know if I've ever had a, like a Barbie dream house. Hmm. I don't, I never had Again, one. Let us know in the comments. Yeah. How accurate they were. I mean, Barbie I'm sure we can house. look it up, but I'd rather hear. But from I did people. hear that. Um, Again, when Mattel and the creators came out with Barbie in the dream house and the convertible, I think that's her iconic ride is for pink yeah, convertible. Yeah, I even know that one. <laughs> um, but it was, they were made in pink. That was her stereotypical color because they wanted that, you know, back then we can debate about blue or pink forever um, and what it means to gender and all that. But that was the clear sign back then that this was Barbie's dream house. This was Barbie's dream car. Like this there was no Ken. It wasn't shared. It wasn't Barbie and her friend. This was Barbie's house and this was Barbie's car. 
um, which I think was really kind of like that was symbolic then, I think. So yeah. I thought that was interesting. And they kept oh, that in the movie. It's pink. Wait, it's Bart. They refer to it as it's she even I think is there a line where she's like, this is Barbie's dream house, not Barbie and Ken's dream house. Yeah, it's Barbie's dream house. She said that the first girls night we see. Yeah, it's girls night. Every night's girls night. Oh, OK. So this is my male brain coming in, though. Yeah. I wonder how much that did for Corvette sales, though. <laughs> I don't know. Horses. People are out. Oh, I'm, Men. Talking, I'm talking about when Barbie was like. Oh, like all, the East. Like back in what, yeah. the 70s, 60s, whatever year that Corvette was. Because I'm sure, like, even back then, you know, because back then it was seriously male-dominated world. Yeah. Like, even after, you know, the women's rights movement, it was still a very male-dominated world compared to today. Now, like, <laughs> I wonder, like, if someone at Corvette was like high up was still like yo like I know it's feminine but like let's make a pink Corvette yeah because like, <laughs> it it probably would have sold yeah we'll have to we'll have to research that later and, and see if they did anything with that but yeah um going off of that I don't think they picked stereotypical man thing like what you would think of when they were like kind of picking at patriarchy like I loved his obsession with the horses I think it's hilarious how he wanted to give up the patriarchy after he realized there wasn't as many horses. There's not, yeah, people don't have horses. Um, And just funny, like, when you think of, you know, that kind of fuckboy, you know, patriarchal, whatever image, I I wouldn't think horses are like cowboys. So it was was kind of a funny take on on that stuff. Um, Yeah. One question for you. I have two questions for you. Um, One, I read... A movie review about America Ferreira, the mom, yeah. about her. She's got this. I feel like people may know this now. Um, at this point, the movie's been out. Um, and there's clips of it all over. I'm sure TikTok and social media. She has the most epic monologue about being a woman in the real world. So, the Kens have taken over. Barbie's defeated. She's just gonna give up. Um, she doesn't know how to fix things. And America Ferreira is you know kind of like it sucks sometimes to be a woman you have to be pretty but not too pretty you can't compete with other girls you have to work but not too hard you can't be threatening but you can't be too nice um but you can't be perfect you have to be a mom and you can't complain about being a mom you have to love being a mom and it's it's this long-winded kind of really powerful emotional speech um that I feel like every woman probably in the theater could relate to in some way shape or form um, and then the movie reviewer was a woman herself, and she said that it was too long-winded, that it it broke up the movie in such, like, you have all this lighthearted and humor and kind of light taps at the patriarch and the message, and then you have it just, like, wham, in your face. And I disagreed, and I wanted to know your take. I don't think so at all. Yeah. I, I thought it was, I thought it was very fitting. I, honestly, it was probably the perfect length, really. Because, like, it did tiptoe the line of, like, you know, too long. But, like, I think that's what Greta Ger- Gerwig was going with in this movie, was kind of touching on, you know, real-life issues. Yeah, and the um, symbolism of the list goes on and on about, you know, yeah. the things that we are balancing in our lives. Yeah, for sure. No, I I disagree. I think it was a good amount of time um, spent on it. Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I can't speak to the true accuracy yeah. of it, but I do believe most of what she said if not all was true yeah and again I feel like you know it's about women empowerment but I feel like anybody who 
doesn't fit in or feels like they're balancing so much can have a great takeaway from this movie. My second um, question was about a criticism of Barbie that I had read. Um, I think I showed you maybe briefly this article and it was like Greta Gerwig is a sellout for doing Barbie. Like no wonder, you know, she's not that great. This woman director, whatever, she's a complete sellout for doing Barbie. Um, And I I regret clicking on the article now because um, I don't know why maybe I was in a rush or doing something, but I didn't click on it. And I think that that's really ironic having seen the movie that, you know, you're going to pick on this female director for being a sellout for doing this. I guess I think what they were referring to, again, I didn't read it. So if anybody finds it at us in the comments, link it. Um, but she's a sellout for doing Barbie and this big pro-women message. And, you know, I don't know if you really call her a sellout. If anything, I think you call her a success. <laughs> I think well, her record or her well, her record breaking sales and her amazing cast and look, glowing reviews speak for itself. But this, I wanted your take on it because she's a director. This is only her fourth movie. Yeah. Well, she's done. And she did like indie film, like Little Women. Yeah, and uh, Lady Bird. Yeah. Which both were good movies. But kind and of they, like indie, not like, well, not I, too mainstream. I, I feel like. So Little Women on the app I review movies letterbox, which you're also on. Yeah has a 4.1 average rating out of five stars. And then Lady Bird has a 3.8 average rating out of five stars. Nights of the Weekends, 3.1, which was her first movie. Like, that, that's overall pretty solid. And then also she's already been cast, or I'm sorry, not cast. She's been selected to direct the new Chronicles of Narnia series that's going to be coming Oh, out. Ooh, I feel like but that like, great. But like, if your lowest rating, average rating on this app is a 3.8, that's yeah pretty fucking i think it's great now did you see that this movie barbie is getting review bombed no yeah so like opening day on rotten tomatoes which is right everyone i don't like rotten tomatoes because everyone wants to be a critic on there but like people will have predetermined opinions before they even get into the movie yeah so like they take that into account that's why i like letterbox better because letterbox is people who will actually type out their reviews you can see everyone's reviews it's not you don't have to pay to see people's reviews like you do on it's just, tomatoes. Yeah, people's opinions and then like i feel like it's more people who are trying to log all the movies they see their genuine movie lovers like, or it's like yeah yeah or it's like people like you who like you don't care about review bombing but you know you like documenting what you've seen and yeah. like, stuff and like you know it's cool like because you have such a nice watch list on there so like, and Barbie itself has a 4.2 average rating out of five on Letterboxd, which I feel like is a more fair rating. Yeah. Then, because, so right now Rotten Tomatoes, I think this movie, it started at like a 92% audience score. Right now it's sitting at like a 68 or something or something. It's 68 or 72. What? One of these. Yeah. Be, my, man, know, my man be, at Ben Shapiro yeah, definitely say, got on there and oh, yeah, <laughs> tanked it. Well, because it's the so far hard right guys that are doing who like feel attacked by a Barbie movie? Again, this movie was for you. Then you should probably watch it a, a second time I'm to really too ad- insecure to admit that it's actually a decent. Um, now getting into that, I do have some flaws in this movie. Criticism, yeah. Out. Well, before we get into that, there was a lot more cameos in this than I thought. I had um, no idea John Cena was in it. John Cena, uh, Dua Lipa, who actually yeah. I think sings one of the the movie scores yeah, one soundtracks, of the, one of the beginning songs. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know Will Ferrell was in it going into it. Really? I did know that. Now, this is where a lot of my male audience will 
never listen to me again. <laughs> Bring it. I'm not a Will Ferrell fan. That's I, fair. I okay. You realize the like grip he has on every male in America. Yeah, like Step Brothers. Step Brothers is a mid tier comedy. Well, no, but I'm saying like it's be, like I feel like it's a I will cult classic. I will be shunned for that opinion. Well, now don't get me wrong. Anyone he, to to say what people <laughs> want you to say? So. Yeah. He, <laughs> He has movies I enjoy. Like, I love Elf. It's a Christmas classic. Yeah. I know you aren't. I can't a do it. Fan. Uh, Talladega Nights, I think, is one of his funnier movies. He wakes up and he pisses excellence. Yeah, if you don't chew Big Red, then fuck you. <laughs> but, and like, I've gone on record and I'd said Will Ferrell should probably stop acting. I think he is no longer funny. Like I, I said, he's he in was, funny roles. I thought he was. In good. this, he was actually enjoyable. He was I enjoyable. And I knew Will Ferrell was in it. I had the wrong, so I tried to go in with no, I didn't really know what it was about. Um, I thought he had more of like an evil villain role than he really does. And I thought his role was bigger. I loved his, his lines. I loved the yeah, role he had and he, how. He played this role very well. Yes. And it like, wasn't, it I wasn't said, like a big shot of real yeah. Will Ferrell in the middle of the movie, which well, I enjoyed. What I was saying about Will Ferrell too. I think he's hilarious outside of movies. Like, like, on any, just a person. like on SNL or any like talk shows. Like, I think he's hilarious. Have you seen his like knife thing on, no. on Kimmel? <laughs> he, ha- he has this, like, it was one night where like Kimmel was doing a show and all of a sudden like the camera panned over and it's Will Ferrell doing this thing about how he's selling knives and swords and everything. Yeah. And like Kimmel's like, what are you doing here? He's like, I rented the studio. And Kimmel's like, I'm here every day at, or every Tuesday at 11. And Will Ferrell's like, well, I rented it today. Did you? And Kimmel like looks baffled, and then all of a sudden Ryan Gosling walks out of nowhere to be a secondhand swordsman. That's crazy. Like so, like stuff like that. Wolfram is so funny, but like genuinely, like I'm not crazy about his movies. But again, this was very enjoyable. My nitpicks for this movie. Yeah, bring them. I think it is too political for its target demographic, teenage girls. I think. Like, but is teenage girls the target demographic? I think for a Barbie movie, yes. So I'll counter that. I I completely understand where you're coming from. Um, I think it would be a great like mom daughter movie. Like you can <laughs> you again, can be in your 30s, 40s, and take your mom to see this movie. Well, yeah. And it has there's that scene with Ruth. Um, with um, so for those of you who don't know, Ruth Handler is the creator of Barbie. Um, yeah, she oh, named that it, was the best She named it after. Movie. So you have. You have a really big mother-daughter theme, right? You have... Yeah, I shouldn't really even touch on it yet. Yeah, you have America Ferreira and her daughter who, you know, are going through their stuff. So that's their first relationship. You have um, Barbie, um, the doll. And she, when she's escaping Mattel, um, trying to put her back in her box, for those who have seen it, she runs into Ruth, which is... Um, which you find out later in the movie is the creator of Barbie. Right. Well, if you, are, if you grew up with Barbie and you've known anything about barbie when they said ruth i like remember oh, i googled really? it in the theater and i was oh. like that has to be who it is yeah so like i i would have had no idea but, right I mean, so if you just sit out till the end and watch but they, they have like they a mother they have a mother daughter kind of bond and a quote that i thought was so powerful um that ruth tells barbie is she said us mothers stand still um so we can measure I, it's not a direct quote so but us mothers stand still so we can see how far our daughters get or go or something like that and that is incredible um so a lot about the sacrifice of being a mother um and it does just a common theme so I don't know 
I would be curious. I don't know if there is a target audience, but I would, I would, I would counter argue and say it's for the women who have been through the struggle a little bit, um, who have, because she, I love the part in the movie where Barbie experiences the real world. She goes from thinking that women, it's going to be the same as in Barbie world. Um, and she looks at this old woman at the bus stop and she goes, you're beautiful. And the old woman says, I know. And she's got her wrinkled face. You know, she's got to be maybe, a, you know, an 80 year old grandma. Yeah. Um, but Barbie feels the pain. Um, she looks at a couple who's laughing and she laughs. She looks at a guy who's, you know, crying, obviously visibly upset. And she starts to feel upset. Um, and I think this movie is for the women who, you know, cause me watching it, I'm like, yeah, like I get it. Like I, you know, cellulite's picked on, we're, we're cat called. We've, you know, been through in those situations where she's like, why is everyone looking at me? What are these men talking about? Like, I don't have a vagina and he doesn't have a peanut. Like sometimes I want to turn around and be like, I don't even have a vagina. So I think it's for women who have been through the struggle. Well, and I understand all that. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. But you don't get that from the trailer. You don't get that till you watch the movie. See? The wall, then that's... So it's target demographic. That's fair. That's like marketing from a marketing perspective. Now, if they would have marketed more like that, yeah, sure, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's really fair. And I'm not saying politics should stay out of movies. It's impossible. It'll never happen. And politics need to be talked about with the right people. Well, we should buckle up for Oppenheimer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. But, you know, so I, that's why I'm saying I, I do think it's a little too political for a movie targeted at teenagers. There is, yeah, there is a lot of, because frankly, and it's not hidden. It's not subliminal. It's in your face. And this is such like a weird topic too. And we'll get off politics here in a second. Yeah. But like, I, there's just like this small part in me that it bothers me to hear teenagers talking politics now. And that's highly due to social media. Because yeah, I'm sure. You're, you're a kid. Like, enjoy, go play outside, go play in the woods, like, watch sports with your dad. You well, know, I stuff like that. I mean, that's but a, on, a goal on the party's part is to really get their ideas and ideologies well, in the in the youth. Well, I was going to say, on which the other is a terrifying hand, sentence. On the the other hand, though, if it's coming from the right sources, it is good to educate the youth. Yeah, but what 15-year-old is really going to... That's uh, right. Yeah. Knowing your sources and not just TikTok. Now we can get off politics. That's just my two cents on that whole aspect of things. No, then that's totally fair. I Uh I will agree with you on this movie because it's... But you have to kind of go into it just kind of knowing that and, you know, not judging it off of that. Because like I said, it is funny. They're coded in humor it's broad strokes, I feel like, but it's definitely not subliminal. You, it's in yeah. your face what this movie's about, what it's trying to say, what it's conveying. So yeah, that's a, that's a fair take. Um, I think some of the jokes were a little forced. A lot of them, a majority, were very natural, very yeah. funny. Some of them felt a little forced. Uh, example? I can't think of like any off the top of my head, but there's like I remember once it's the scene when she like first gets back from the real world to Barbie land. Um, she sees that Ken's have taken over. Yeah. And she's at weird Barbie's house. And this is when they introduce all the discontinued Barbies. And they're like, yeah. kind of a plan. There was a few jokes tried to be thrown in there that just weren't funny because they just felt too forced. That's in. fair. But again, I'd say 92% of the jokes say, were ratio, very natural, for very me, funny. For me, because I love them humor yeah you know you can attest that's probably to that. why you're with me yeah because i think your jokes are hilarious yeah my jokes it's, are dumb. it's the funny guys you gotta watch out for that's, that's the moral of the story love you too babe love you um <laughs> but that's fair but i would agree with you that the ratio 
of like really yeah. funny, like genuinely funny moments is a lot higher than the Yeah. Fair. No, it's, yeah. I This movie was substantially funnier than I was anticipating it would be going yeah. in. So I was very satisfied. Yeah, you turned um, to me and you're like, this movie should not be this funny. Yeah. And I was like, it. I mean, I wasn't expecting, I don't know what I was expecting. I keep saying that. Like, it's Barbie, is it dolls? What is going on? But it really, it, I found it genuinely enjoyable. For uh, sure. But then my third one, which is like my biggest pick on this movie, is the third act felt rushed. Okay. I think, like, they, like, go to Weird Barbie's house. They set up this plan of how and they're going to take back over. Quick. And it takes maybe eight minutes yeah. for them to take Barbie Land or Barbie World back. Like, that. that's my biggest pick on this movie. Yeah. It felt too rushed. Now, I, I don't know why, but leading up to this movie, like, my hype for it was getting less and less. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why. Like, I... In my head, like I was so excited for the Barbenheimer double feature, but I was just substantially more excited for Oppenheimer. And that's fair. Up, I feel like I and, knew and, that. And leading up, I was even like, "Do I really want to see them both back to back?" I know, like it's weird for me. To say, what? Well, I mean, me, I'm going to see any new movie that comes out. But I can. <laughs> no, I but the fact it. that you were like, "Meh," yeah, I, I, I can't give you a reason why. Okay, so like, okay, meh. Going in, what about walking out? I mean, I, I had a great time. Like, yeah, it was so much fun. Overall, I gave it a 7.4 out of 10. Mm-hmm. But again, like, I was talking to my brother about this because I told him that, and he said he would probably put it higher. My brother's not a movie critic, but him and I, anyone in my life, we talk about movies because it's, yeah. like, a big thing in my life. A huge part of you, yeah. Yeah, it's like sharks. Like <laughs> They are, they are internally you. Yeah, if you hang out with me long enough, we're going to talk about why sharks are important in this world. Yeah, and I know all the things um, now, and I exactly. quizzed, quizzed for anybody who watched Shark, was it Shark Week recently? Yeah, it's still, it Shark, still Week. Shark Week, so it's like, it's on when I get home from work, he's like, baby, what Shark is about? So I can imagine movies are the same. Yeah, so my brother said he would put it higher, but here's the biggest thing, is comedies are the hardest movie genre to critique, because comedy yeah. is so subjective. It is, Like yeah. I just said, I'm not huge on Step Brothers. There's people that consider it the greatest comedy of all time. Sure. Because the humor just lands so much better with them. So really, Barbie can go anywhere up in the air. Now, if you rated this anything lower than like a six point, eh, like a seven, six, I was going to say like a 6.8, I would say you're wrong. Yeah. But also, if you give this anywhere more than a 9.5, I would also think you're wrong. I agree. I'm, I would I would agree that between for me, like a, between a seven and a nine would be would be appropriate for this movie I, d- I haven't rated it i didn't do letterbox yeah i mean you aren't as into it as i but am. i would agree with that for sure yeah like this movie is a very good comedy and honestly when it comes time oscar season it should be nominated at least quite a few categories for, i would say it should be nominated for um wardrobe yeah i was gonna say costume has to be margo deserves a lead actress nomination so far, anyway, we don't know what the rest of the year has to come. Obviously, this sure. is way too early Oscar predictions. No. <laughs> <laughs> I am behind this. Yeah, but I think Margaret deserves at least a nomination. Yeah. That might... Uh, I could see it being nominated. There's a chance it won't be, but I could see it being nominated for um, Best uh, Soundtrack, Original Soundtrack. Mm. Interesting, interesting takes. Yeah. I like it. What was your thoughts that they didn't have the original I'm a Barbie girl in it? Fantastic. Really? Take that song and throw it in the garbage. Can't. There's a lot of people upset it wasn't in the movie. That sucks for them. Honestly, I think, or was it Nicki Minaj is in that? I think, is it Nicki? I think it's Nicki that does like a, a version of something. 
at the, is it the end credits it's Nicki minaj ice spice and aqua yeah i i kind of fuck with that song <laughs> just the original is such i just don't i every time i hear the original though and this isn't going to pertain to a lot of people i get taken Blech. back to like eight-year-old me on skate night and we're <laughs> That's like roller I'm, I'm picturing like middle school dance rave like it's just I don't know for me I don't know why I can't explain to you why I hate it so much but I'm I'm to answer your question I'm glad it's not there that's fair I mean I'm indifferent I don't care either way yeah <laughs> I was a hair surprised that Greta decided not to put it in bless her soul. because it is so iconic everyone yeah. knows that song iconic is a very strong word I get it I get it. everyone knows that they associate yeah. with Barbie I get what you're saying yeah but bless <laughs> Do you have anything else on Barbie? My last thing on Barbie is my favorite quotes. I think of like oh. the whole movie. Yeah. Um, Get it, girl. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I noticed this watching it, but I read an article. And I, as soon as I read it, I was like, oh, yeah. Um, so there's a scene. I think it's towards like the really like the very beginning when they're introducing the audience to Barbie world. Um and they have like these ceremonies, like they do the Supreme Court rules on stuff and they give awards out to Barbies. Um, and instead of saying thank you or I'd like to thank, you know, whatever, they say, yeah, I worked really hard for this or I deserve this. And I thought that was the coolest thing because how many times do women and others and, you know, men, whoever, you know, get an award that you worked really hard for and you're like and I want to thank you know blah 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 and my team and this and that and not really just owning that shit I I know I'm I have a crazy habit of this like I think anxiety and just a self-esteem I'm like oh sorry oh sorry group effort I do that have you noticed so I thought that was such (laughs) a cool thing and I I it was it's one of those things where maybe on the second watch you'll get it and as soon as I oh, read I that, on it. yeah, well, and as soon as I read that, I was like, it was kind of like a slow motion. I was like, that's the coolest shit I've ever seen. So hopefully your target audience, those little girls, when they get like their end of the school year, like, you know, class awards or that, you know, that badass chick that just did her dissertation or graduated med school. I hope they get up on that stage and they're like, I earned this shit. Thank you. Like, don't even thank anybody but yourself. I love that. Um, and I think that was a really good. I don't even know how long we've been talking. I feel like that's, that was a good chunk of Barbie. Oh, I, I feel like, time. yeah. Hit me. Go for it. Have you seen the Lego movie? I have seen the Lego movie. Barbie's a direct ripoff. Really? Divulge. Think about how the Barbie movie and the Lego movie start. They wake up in their bed. They get ready for everything the is awesome. They get ready in the morning. They say hello to ev- all their neighbors. Oh my god! They sing a song about how great life is. They go through an existential crisis where they are teleported you into our me. world. You just ruined my oh, life. I'm not. <laughs> I can't. This is why you save this for last, and I hate you for it. They are teleported into our world to meet the human that plays with them, only to find out that the villain of their world. In the real world is Will Ferrell. I don't even know what to say to that. That's disgusting. <laughs> you were so excited for that, were you? Yeah. Yeah. The Lego movie and the Barbie movie are the same. Mm. Mm. The same kind of humor, you could argue, too. Like same that same. Story is... All right. I don't like this. We're talking about Barbie. You're... Barbenheimer, not Legoheimer. Are you ready for our intermission? 
I'm I think after that I need to process. <laughs> okay. Welcome back. So on our movie news, uh Venom 4 has officially been or I'm sorry, Venom 3 has officially been delayed oh, um, um due to the writer's strike. Yeah. So it is now pushed back to August 10th of 2024, which is a little heartbreaking, but I do think that I, this isn't part of movie news because I it's just rumor to my knowledge, but Andrew Garfield is supposedly in it. So that'll be awesome to see him reprise his role. Spider-Man? Yeah. Nice. Uh, on the same news as Writer's Strike, um, I missed out on this, but they're doing a, another Karate Kid. Mm. But it's going to be like the original cast outside of Mr. Miyagi. So it's going to be Ralph Macchio playing him. But at this point, because they already have the series on Netflix, I feel like it's going to just be a movie based off that series, which I haven't watched the series. I've heard great things about it. So yeah. maybe it'll be good. <laughs> um, they have announced they're doing a Lego Movie 3. God. <laughs> has also been delayed due to the writer's strike. Yeah, I feel like all of, everything and, that was in production is probably... And awesome. also the next Spider-Verse movie has been delayed due to the writer's strike. Are you heartbroken? Honestly, no. Oh. So, End of the Spider-Verse came out in 18. Okay. And I love that movie. It's my favorite comic book movie. It's my highest comic book movie ever rated. Can confirm. I have it in a 9.9 out of 10. The Leap of Faith scene will forever be a top three movie scene for me, ever. And Across the Spider-Verse got delayed almost two years. from Because mm-hmm. I think it was originally supposed to release in 2020. Um... And I was heartbroken about that one because I was so excited for it. But after seeing Across the Spider-Verse, like, and how much work was put into it, the movie is so good. IMDb already has it as their number 15 in their top 250 movies of all time. So I'm okay with this one being delayed because of how much work is going into it. Sure. And I think it'll be good for it, especially with that movie is so much CGI and, like, everything. One of the cool parts, I don't know if you knew this, in Across the Spider-Verse, there's, like, this maybe 30 second long scene where one of the universes is a lego scene hmm. a 14 year old did it wow that's incredible him, yeah him and his dad and got paid oh, 15 yeah. cents for it well, they said they're bringing it back for the next one. Oh, that's and awesome. like he's already got like work with other movies too that's great but like him and his dad like just for fun in their free time on youtube would take like trailers for like oppenheimer i don't they didn't do one for oppenheimer i'm just throwing it out yeah. or like there will be blood Mm-hmm. And we turn the trailers into like Lego trailers, just as like a fun like side a fun, activity. Yeah, that's well, adorable. And the creators for Across the Spider saw it and reached out and were like, "Hey, would you want to do this part of the movie?" So a fourteen-year-old did part of that's one of awesome. the biggest movies of the decade. I love that. Yeah, so that's awesome. Um, and then Bad Boys Four with Will Smith. Oh my god! And Martin Lawrence. Uh, is official to release spring of next year. Be on the lookout. <laughs> um, Barbie 2 has been greenlit already. And so Greta Gerwig is going to start writing the sequel. See, somebody at work the other day, because obviously it's been a huge topic, somebody was saying like, oh, they left it off as a cliffhanger. And I was like... They did? Right, that was my reaction. I was like, I don't think they did. So my bet new storyline something different maybe i don't think it would play off i think it's gonna play off well i mean it has to as like a a 
sequel. Corby too, but I don't think it'll be like I don't think it ended on a cliffhanger and pick up. There. I also don't think it did. Yeah. But anyways, that's cool. And then Killian Murphy said he wants to. I saw it. He was like, "Let me see a script. I would love that. I would love a Killian Murphy script." Because I didn't know this, but my wife told me after I think Oppenheimer said that he wanted to stop doing as much drama roles because he has period dramas. Yeah, so many fake cigarettes. Yeah, which are still not great for you. Oh no, I think I think it was some crazy number. Like he smoked like three thousand a season. No, I think it was like three. No, it was. 3,000 a season, maybe, for Peaky Blinders or something like that. I believe it. They all did. Yeah. Like, yeah, so like, he was like, crazy. maybe after Oppenheimer, let's let's chill on the period period pieces yeah. for a minute. Let's let his <laughs> lungs recoup. We'll touch more on this in the Oppenheimer review. But in some countries, the sex scene in Oppenheimer um, is being, they CGI'd, CGI'd over dress. it with yeah. dress. Uh, and then, oh. Last weekend was so crazy that Oppenheimer's 70 millimeter true IMAX, because the closest true IMAX to my wife and I is Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, um, that's a no. <laughs> and there's only, I think it's only like 16 true IMAX theaters in America. Really? It's some, it's very small number. So it's hard to see it how Christopher Nolan wants you to see it. So your best bet is to go to an IMAX theater near you that claims it's IMAX. And all it really means is 70 millimeter IMAX is like the best IMAX you can get. Like I said, very few in America. What we saw then was what's called dual monitor or dual camera mm-hmm. projector, um, where it can take like 70 millimeter film and it runs it through like both basically to make the bigger picture, the better quality, the better sound. But it still isn't as good as a true 70 millimeter. Did you know the cast saw it that way? In the true yeah. like, IMAX form. And I thought it was hilarious because somebody asked um, in the press like about a question about, you know, what was it like to see it like that? And um, Robert Downey Jr. was like, Killian Murphy's pores, fantastic. I would say they are small to medium. And I thought that was really funny. It's like how, <laughs> that's, you know, that's funny. How, yeah. how it was shot like I that. Mean, my favorite movie podcast to listen to is Rage of the Lost podcast. And I listened to their episode and I mean, they were talking about how great it is because they live in L.A. Uh, and L.A. Oh. has a true 70 millimeter. Yeah, they have to. Yeah. They're at the center of well, the movie universe. So Martin Sheen has recently come to Cincinnati, where my wife and I are from. Martin Sheen is also from a little north of here, but he wants to make Cincinnati the next hollywood so we might have the 70 millimeter imax theater coming to us soon at movie shark we'll keep keep our our viewers and listeners updated expect me to be at over the rhine film festival (laughs) next summer and i will work back every detail yes um outside of that this is more on the barbenheimer thing so i already said this but budget oppenheimer on 100 million barbie Oh, I misspoke earlier. Barbie was bumped to 145 million. Oh. Still, I mean, fairly close. Barbie did start with 100 million, but yeah. Either way, uh, director directors were Christopher Nolan, Greta Gerwig. Cinematography for Oppenheimer was done by Hoyt Van Hoytma. That's a name. <laughs> he was born for success. <laughs> um, I mean, he's worked on some fairly big projects. Um. And then the cinematography for Barbie was Rodrigo Rito. I hope I know I'm butchering his name. And for that, I apologize. <laughs> um, but Hoyt Van Hoytma 
has worked on movies such as Interstellar, Nope, Her, Dunkirk, Tenet, Ad Astra, uh, James Bond, Spectre, The Fighter, you know, a lot of Christopher Nolan films, yeah, I obviously. Yeah, I recognize a lot of yeah. a few Christopher Nolans. So, obviously, he has some big names, or big movies under his name. Um, and then, let me find Barbies. Where are you at? Plot twist, this is actually the real intermission. <laughs> So, Barbie cinematographer Rodrigo Perito, again, huge movies under his belt. Number one being The Wolf of Wall Street. Mm, Barbie, Brokeback Mountain, The Irishman. Three of those that I just said are Oscar nominees or winners. Eight Mile, Passengers, Argo, Babel. A lot of other ones that not a lot of people would know. A lot of foreign films. So... Oh, yeah. Um, and then box office. This was hella surprising to me. Really? Do you want to take a guess at what Oppenheimer got box office opening or like up till today? I knew it was like it soared past expectations. So to put it this way, Oppenheimer with a hundred million dollar budget would basically. (laughs) I'm so sorry. It's okay. We're going to put it back up real quick. I'm sorry. I'm upset, babe. Anyway. Let me readjust so again, editing I'll, I'll that. that out. So, um, to give you a little background, Oppenheimer with a $100 million budget would need to make around $200 million for it to be considered profitable. I want to say, was, and wasn't then, it like... And then Barbie with $145 million would need around two ninety to be considered a profitable movie. Mm-hmm. So... What do you think Oppenheimer made? Oh, are we in the threes? No. I feel like it. It'll get there for sure. I think this movie will be. I feel like 265 stuck out to me. 241.7. Okay. What was... I feel like this movie is going to end up being around $750 million box office. Mm-hmm. I think Barbie's going to break a million. Do you want to guess what Barbie's at right now? I have no idea what Barbie's at right now. 516.9 million. Oh my god. Yeah, Barbie was the winner of the Barbenheimer weekend. Now, to be fair, it is easier for PG-13 movies with this much hype to beat a rated R movie. Well, and I feel like very different audiences, very different. Oh yeah, like you said, you could take your... uh daughter to go see Barbie daughter, with you. Daughter, mother, grandma, yeah. But you're not going to take your... 12-year-old son to go see Oppenheimer with. Right. Yeah, very now, different. Now, I feel like this is a movie with me being an adult and my dad and I would enjoy it together. Oh, well, yeah, but you're not... But, again, that's... A, a different selection. A, maybe a, a slimmed-down target audience compared yes. to Barbie. Oh, yeah. And um, and it's, like, why so many movies, like, try and avoid the NC-17 rating because you're pretty much considered death at the box office because of how many... Nobody can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, 
not as many theaters will show an NC-17 movie. Like, the yeah. Cinemark by our house rarely shows And um, I know, obviously, both equally good movies. Um, but I think the difference in marketing, Barbie was everywhere. I think we talked about it. We didn't really see trailers for Oppenheimer. And the ones that we did were really short. Well, I avoided all. Well, the ones that so. I had seen... I mean, and we, I mean, I have, um, we use like streaming services. So somebody let us know if this is, you know, if you saw more Oppenheimer stuff, but I think like the press tours, like you would open up social media and it would be all about Margot's outfit. Well, yeah, and there was blah, like Barbie billboards. Barbie everywhere. And they kind of just let Oppenheimer speak for itself. It wasn't that it was the lesser movie. Don't get me confused, but I think they kind of let it again, let it speak for, I mean, they did their you know, carpets and appearances and stuff in their interviews. Yeah. But I think it was a lot different in terms of, like, how they marketed these movies. For sure. Um, one thing I did forget to mention during our Barbie section, mm. Issa Rae, she's the one who played Barbie. President. Yeah, President Barbie. Barbie. She is collecting the bag this year. Because she's already in that movie that's obviously soaring past <laughs> its budget. Yeah. She was also in Across the Spider-Verse. Oh, okay. So... She's got a fat Successful. paycheck coming her way. And she said, I deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But here, I want to touch on this too during the intermission. I avoided all trailers for this, as I've said how many times this podcast. But also, like, I did the same thing for Across the Spider-Verse and everything. It's the best decision I've made. Because genuinely, like, I've gone, like, on movies like this or like across the spider-verse like i go back and i watch the trailers after i've seen the movie yeah because the biggest issue in today's trailers are giving away the entire movie well i like, think we said that when we saw oppenheimer there was i can't remember the name the of the movie is that what it was it was like the, the whole the DC. DC. i've seen the whole movie already yeah the whole movie was the trailer it left me no well, and that's oh the, i wonder what happens or it left nothing yeah. it was just well, so from start thing. to finish okay if you haven't seen across the spider-verse just skip forward like 45 seconds from here you haven't seen across the spider correct i'm probably uh, not going to yeah i know and so that's why i'm going to spoil it for you right there's this scene at the very end or i'm sorry not at the very end but like towards the end where like there's this whole council of spider-men okay and they like you know won't let miles morales on because he needs this canon event um which most of the spider-man's canon event is someone they are very close to dying Mm. Uncle Ben, Aunt May, Gwen. Yeah, I have read about this. This, that, and the other. Well, anyway, there's this like huge scene. It's like the whole movie, it's like Miles fighting to get onto that council. Okay. But then he decides he doesn't want to be on it anymore. And he's like, nah, I'm going to do my own thing. That's in the trailer. Yeah. Like, so if you, you would have seen that completely different. Yeah, it totally took away the power of that scene, in my opinion. And like, I mean, I've seen the trailers for that now. And like, that movie was phenomenal. I rated it a 9.7 out of 10. I have into the Spider-Verse at 9.9. I'm sure Cross will go up upon rewatch. Yeah. So that's like my big thing is like, you know, like that wouldn't have held the same power. And I might not have rated it as high if I saw the trailers first. Yeah. Like, so like, movies need to stop doing that. Yeah. Interesting take. I'm not somebody who gives that a lot of energy. I don't really think about it. So I don't really have an opinion there. But I have seen, I have had that experience where whether you're, you know, like we were to go see a movie and they play the trailers before, you know, the movie starts. And there have been instances where I'm like, that just looks silly. I watched the whole thing right now. Like, why would I come back and see it? Yeah. So I could agree. I can get behind that or just make it like, boom, Oppenheimer. 
or boom, Barbie coming out. Yeah. But I get it. It's a whole, I mean, it's a whole business. It's a whole production. Yeah. I, so think, I get it. I mean, I've said I haven't seen the trailer for Oppenheimer. I saw one and it was before Avatar The Way of Water. And the trailer is only 22 seconds long with no volume in it at all. Yeah. So like, I don't really count that. And also, honestly, that's like 22, sec- 22 seconds for a three. <laughs> what was that movie? Like three seconds? I think seconds. it was three hours, six minutes or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So it might have been longer. Can't spoil a lot. Um, There's a lot to make up there. Yeah. So, like, my whole thing is like, if you genuinely are excited about a movie, do everything in your power to not see a trailer because it's going to make your experience a lot more enjoyable in today's day until they stop making trailers. And just, I feel like you can't set any kind of expectations. You just go for the purpose of watching and taking in and enjoying the film itself instead of. Yeah. Like, this is something you wouldn't know either. Like, there's been multiple actors who say they love working with Tarantino, Brad Pitt being the biggest one who has stated this. Because, like, you know, they've said that they've worked with directors and it's, like, just such a drag in between takes because, like, you're just trying to get the perfect take. But with people like Tarantino, Brad Pitt has stated that, like, it's awesome working with him due to the fact that in between takes, like, like, you know, it might be a long, strenuous day. But in between takes, Tarantino will yell out, why do we do this? And everyone on set yells out, because we love movies. Yeah. And Brad Pitt's like... Oh my gosh, Nicole Kidman. For anybody that's seen a movie recently, (laughs) going to the cinema. It's an experience. Yeah. Um, One Brad Pitt was like, you know, saying like, it's kind of funny though, you're like, first time on a Tarantino set. And like, you hear that, like, you just kind of sit there and like... I'm sure it's like chills. Yeah. Well, yeah. He's like, because like, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, because he's like, you know, there's some directors that will maybe yell at you in between takes because you're yeah. doing it right. But yeah, so I mean, it's stuff like that on sets. Uh, Chills, though. I mean, it, especially as for actors, like you get bigger and bigger, you yeah. know, the it's nice to know. And that was one thing, too. Um, both movies, the, the actors and actresses, you know, seem to have really good relationships where their directors um, really wanted to have a great performance, worked really hard. Um, anybody who is been a fan or seen anything that Killian Murphy's and knows that he just full steam throws himself into research one of the best working actors at the moment yeah and um you know and it's it's kind of cool to see these these big names that are carrying these movies and they're like oh my god we were nervous and you know we threw ourselves into this because of the love that they have biggest ones to say that yeah and so um he's been phenomenal he's been the lead in a movie about one of the greatest rock bands of all time oh yeah 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 I don't think that movie's great, but <laughs> well, I mean, Rob, and he can, was good. At yeah, and he can do he can do big picture and and TV. Yeah, he's been great. TV series. Rami is a great actor. Um, I even had a quote um, from Florence Pugh where Christopher Nolan apparently had called her and offered her this part, and he said, "But it's not big." And she was like, "I could be a waitress in the back. I could be an extra, and I still want to do this do this part and do this movie well, yeah, with you." There's this Matt Damon quote going, or like interview going around. Where apparently him and his wife were having marital problems there in marriage counseling. Yeah. And Matt Damon <laughs> said, said of, that they agreed that he was going to walk away from acting for a little bit so they could work on their marriage and amend things, unless Christopher Nolan called. Boom! Sure enough. Ears were burning. And like, that's frankly, hilarious. His wife has to understand that. <laughs> I mean, that was his only clause. So, yeah. Except, I, I mean, Christopher Nolan will go down as one of the greatest directors of all time. Mm-hmm. He has one, maybe two bad movies. But they were his first movies on made in like '94. Like other than that, like his, like one of his best movies, Memento, that came out in 2000. I know you don't like. Well, we watched but- that in psychology. Fun fact: I was I 
have a, a degree in psychology okay. and it's but that's my memory of it it's like school and so it was I love being able to show Connor like new movies that he's never seen because that is like such a rare instance and there's been a handful of them and that was one of them and I I think it's so funny how you love it I well, it's just they, not for me but you know me I don't like movies where I watch it I'm like what was the point well yeah and it's also, it's a very artistic thing I feel like for you it's still a good like, movie though yeah exactly that's what I'm getting to it's like you don't like it but you can understand it's a great movie like, yeah there's plenty of movies my like personal that, movie opinion and understanding what it takes to create a good movie are very different well one of the cool things about that movie is it was shot in reverse yeah like he shot scenes from the final scene backwards and then just edited it and pieced it together how he wanted it yeah personally I think it's a great and that that movie has a lot of very different takes some of the movie reviewers that I follow on TikTok. Yeah, there's, there's a, it leaves it open-ended and almost for the audience to kind of pick yeah, what they want that ending to be. Yeah. yeah. I love movies like that to make you think. Like, um, when shooting it in reverse, the audience feels the same way that the actors did in yeah. shooting the movie. You know, it's like well, honestly, everyone is kind of tussled around. I'm surprised that movie's not more popular with today's generation, where like, you know, it's the TikTok, it's the social media generation where like you need constant, you know, something new every 10 seconds. Yeah, like you constantly need your attention to be flipped. Perfect. This movie's perfect because it resets every day. That's every day. That's what it's supposed to. Everyone go watch Memento and make it popular so Connor starts to see it on on the TikTok. So, like, genuinely, I think Nolan will go down as one of the greatest directors of all time. He might even be a top five director right now. That's up for debate. Yeah, but I can see it personally. I think the best director of all time is Stanley Kubrick. Okay. Objectively, it's Steven Spielberg. Okay. And it's really hard to argue against it. I know you don't really care about this. Yeah, you're losing me, yeah. but that's okay. These are it's, my opinions. It's for the yeah. audience. And yeah, but because like, Coop, uh, we'll get off this in a second. <laughs> I know I'm losing your attention, but not just me, but we got, we've been talking, we got a lot to yeah. digest. But Kubrick didn't make as many movies as Spielberg, but every single one of Kubrick's movies, you could argue, is the greatest movie of that genre. Okay. Where it's, I believe you. But like Spielberg has made like, you know, some of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah, Jaws, I feel like Jurassic that's such Park. a, I mean, even somebody like me who doesn't read a book, you know, I don't focus on the director. Spielberg is a household name. Everybody yeah, knows oh, who yeah. Spielberg is, you know. Well, and like Spielberg is the only, I've only rated five movies that very 10 out of 10. Spielberg's the only person that's on there twice. Yeah. For Jaws for and Back to the Future. Jaws. And that's not even my love of the That kidding. movie's genuinely a phenomenal movie. Yeah. And the impact it had on generations for years to come is untouchable sure all right that concludes our intermission all right and that was our intermission so i have a question for you what's that are you ready are you ready to dive into Oppenheimer? oh boy oh oh boy, oh boy. Oh boy. am i all right first, okay first off here real quick <laughs> this is on ah! this is on Oppenheimer. so i'm on Damn near every social media. Damn near. Um, I should get a shirt that says damn near. You, that's a catchphrase for sure. Honestly. But one of the biggest criticisms I've seen of this movie is that they don't show a single Japanese person in the film. What do you want them to show? Evisceration. Yeah, like, what? Like, just a person waving there? Is I mean, I mean in, unless they, like, did a quick shot of, like, normal everyday life you know as a quick flash maybe but i don't i don't quick flash mm. <laughs> they saw two quick flashes actually okay okay um 
as like, no, a, but like, here's the, like what are they going to show like they'd be like oh wow i didn't know we were going to have an eclipse like i don't think okay maybe i'm picturing more of like an artistic thing where it's like you know and every day because you see the okay well the movie is shot in different timelines that you switch between so i could see them doing a timeline before this and it show what the you know the world war what world war era life was like in japan i could see it for like a couple seconds like that's a, a real touchy subject it, i mean and it could be but also that's not really what the movie was about like the the movie is actually arguably not even about the bomb itself I mean, it is and isn't, but it's, it is it, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's not a bio about Robert James Oppenheimer, or J. Robert Oppenheimer. Right. And so I, I don't know. I feel like it, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that criticism, to be honest. No, it's a terrible criticism. Yeah. The, what do you want them to show? Yeah. One <laughs> of the biggest criticisms that I had read was um, the fact that the female roles, so I'm assuming they're just, you know, mainly focusing on Kitty, his wife, and, um, Lawrence Pugh's character. Jean. Jean Tatlock. Is that her name? Yeah. Um, so I think that... Um, but one of the biggest criticisms that I had seen um, focusing on the female roles of Kitty and Jean. Um, so Kitty is his wife and Jean is a fling that he was having before he met his wife. Yeah, kind of his first love. His interest. first love, yeah. Um, and they were saying like, oh you know nolan just used these female characters as like an outlet for the men and i'm assuming more of like because there are sexual scenes between gene well, and, yeah, and oppenheimer i don't even know if she yeah wears clothes like once or twice in this movie but um so i think people the point people were trying to make in this criticism was like she was um just his release i guess for like sexual stress energy or whatever and then they were saying kitty um was just kind of by the wayside and she you know he tells her to like bring in the wash and i thought they had this all wrong that's my i i'm criticizing the criticism <laughs> With, yeah and like, like okay this might sound real shitty on my end but i'm sorry if your husband is stopping the world war like he's like kind of the sole purpose of it and then you know he's the smartest man working on this project and he is stopping america from becoming communist by losing the war you might take a little bit of the side burner for a little bit no and so but which is going to be hard on anyone i think i feel like you need to understand that responsibility i would argue that gene and kitty both played really important pivotal roles for him in the film and for his life um gene uh struck me as a really intelligent character which is emily blunt by the way no gene is florence Florence pugh Pugh. oh sorry gene is florence pugh Pugh. are you are you the podcast guy are you at moody shark i just forgot most of (laughs) so so no gene tatlock is florence pugh's character she struck me as a really smart woman a really strong-headed woman um had her own belief system didn't need a man in fact the didn't need flowers didn't need flowers the running joke of the movie um was he was trying to do all of these like stereotypical things for her and she that's not what she wanted from him um their sexual relationship i think was enjoyed by both like the characters uh-huh. you know it wasn't just he used her and left her kind of thing i feel like honestly it felt more like she used him well and it, it felt to me like it was 
to show how complex he was as a man, how complicated he could be, and her. She was a complicated female character. So I didn't feel like they, they sh- sh- her role was just thrown in as like a ditzy, you know, no. 1940s. Honestly, there wasn't really anyone ditzy. No, but I'm saying, you know, I feel like that's what the criticism, and I could be interpreting that wrong, but I feel like that's what the criticism was saying, and that's not what I got from her character at all. And Florence Pugh is amazing. I would watch a... a I can't believe it's not butter commercial with Florence Pugh in it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I've said this a thousand times and I'll say it a thousand more. I've said it on this podcast, on my TikTok page, on my Instagram, on my Twitter. Florence Pugh is the best working actress today. I think she's phenomenal. I think she's beautiful. I think she's stunning. I think she's so talented. Honestly, and she even said in the interview, the actress that's portraying this female role herself, I feel like she brings just so much more to the table to that role than just, oh, that's his sexual release and that's her only point oh, in the yeah. movie. There's only it kind of shows his well, and it kind of shows his development. Cause again, you know, we mentioned you're switching through these timelines of the movie, you know, like pre-bombing, post-bombing kind of thing. Yeah. Um well, so I read that if it's in color, IMAX, this is from Nolan that it is kind of going through Oppenheimer himself, like his thought process, how he sees day-to-day life. And like the gray is kind of like post-bomb from others' perspectives. Yeah, that's, and obviously that's from the director, so that's obviously true. Yes. But it's a very important symbolism. And actually, I had a theory, opinion, whatever, on on the black and white scenes. So as Connor said, does it confirm what I said that Nolan said? Well, it's just my own theory. It's it. Oh, okay. Neither confirm nor deny. But I just want to toss it out there, see what you think, um, and what the listeners think. So, um, so as Connor said, um, this movie jumps timelines, um, and color is more um, Oppenheimer, his personal perspective, um, his emotions, his feelings, and things. And then the black and white is more post-bombing how the world now views him, villainizes him. You know, he's in this congressional hearing and all that. Um, I think it's interesting and maybe a little symbolic that the colored scenes with Oppenheimer's point of view is a man who is a little bit innocent, a little bit guilty, imperfect, complicated, gritty, um, and I feel like in those scenes, you're really rooting for him in a way. You want them to succeed when they yeah. when they break an equation or they have those mini successes. It's celebrated. It's like the underdog. It's the American, you know, spirit of what do we do? You know, what, you know, morality. And then in the black and white scenes is dealing with government and dealing with conspiracy and how funny and system. ignorance and how funny is it? that things that are related to government and conspiracy and all of that stuff are shot in black and white and they're never black and white so i think that symbolism is really cool yeah, because that's, I mean, that's what that's what i was thinking was like because you know the black and white scenes are um for those of you who have seen it and know this obviously um the black and white scenes kind of focus on strauss trying to villainize yeah oppenheimer who he's god Damn, was Robert Downey Jr. good in this movie? So good. Um, and so trying to, you know, Strauss's point of view is Oppenheimer has wronged him um, and he wants to get back at him and be top dog and kind of this macho, weird yeah. thing. And it's funny, too, because you don't see that in the beginning. 
No, uh, it's the beginning. Been... The black and white scenes are like kind of still almost not humanizing, but like compelling towards Oppenheimer because mm. it's mainly, a lot of the black and white is from Strauss's side, and it's showing how he thinks Oppenheimer is one of the smartest people. He wants him to come work at this university, the same university Einstein is working at at the time. We see their interaction, but the whole time Oppenheimer does kind of have this arrogance over Strauss. Yeah, he, he knows he's smarter than him, but like he doesn't directly say it right at all and so and i then, just so, thought that and, was really interesting yeah so a lot of black and white too is also kind of building up to like yeah downey's or like strauss's hate for so i would i would even argue that symbolism goes starts from the very beginning because it starts with that black and white of that interaction um and as the audience like connor said you don't really know what's going on there yet it's just these guys meeting they're talking so and then you get it's the end, the last maybe 20, 30 minutes at the end where you kind of get the whole picture of what's been going on between Strauss and Oppenheimer that whole time. And, um, but that's where the conspiracy starts, right? He's been yeah. plotting. And so I think that that's kind of just cut. I don't know if, if Nolan meant that or if that's what he was including when he said like from the different perspectives of Strauss and, and Oppenheimer and from others' perspectives. But I was like, man, there was so much conspiracy and people trying to just railroad Oppenheimer. And I mean, people obviously they know like government is never black and white. Conspiracy theories are not yeah. black and white. What in life is really black and white? And so I thought that transition of filming like that was was super cool. But yeah, and like we've kind of covered like, you know, a majority of like the basic overview of the movie. Yeah. How it was shot. I wanted to get back to the beginning. All right. The very beginning. Let's take it on back. Where, where he's in the, where he's still a student. Yeah. Um, Sweden? Germany? Somewhere mm. in Europe. Yeah. But I think it was Germany. Like, not only are the scenes, like, written well, shot well, everything, but, like, the scenes where, like, he's in class and, like, the professor's like, I don't think you're going to ever pick up on this by doing lab experiments. He's like, but you should go here to succeed. So he follows that. But the scenes that, like, caught me right from the rib, like, was him laying in bed, mm. and he couldn't sleep. And, like, you see it almost through his perspective, like, he is seeing the world so vastly different from, yeah. like, where, like, they're showing, like, neurons and, like, atoms, like, just spiraling above his head. And he's, like, seeing all these different, you know... Yeah, that people can't see. So I think that's really interesting because, obviously you know they take you to when Oppenheimer was a student um and they have those scenes where everything kind of slows down for him um he can it's almost like he can see the science you know this table isn't a table it's atoms that are bonded together he can see everything that's going Um, there was a couple of cool scenes I thought with water like the puddles that he could see everything you know the science and I thought that was really interesting because here is this incredible mind at that point, innocent guy who just loves science, can see it, has this talent um, that nobody else has at that time. Um, obviously, Einstein was the closest um, who can see it in this innocent love for science and the end result of what that love and and genius and madness kind of led to. And I think we can compare that to, I mean, developments today, AI, all that, you know, I'm sure these people have a genuine love for science for, and like I said, the, the scenes where they break that one code or they get to that next experiment and they're, they're putting all these pieces together is 
you're almost like, oh yeah, they did it. Like, that's awesome. And you kind of, it humanizes it a little bit because they were just this team of humans that were tasked. I mean, and it was all about um, being patriotic, working for your country, saving your country, saving the world from war. It's like- And Nazis and- It's like a war film that's, well, it's a war film that's an anti-war film, but- I was going to say that. I do feel like a lot of war films are anti-war films, no matter how much you want to romanticize it. A lot of them are anti-war. But going, or like, and everything you were saying too, but like, I mean, this is in my memory and like knowledge of movies, one of the longest first acts that I can remember today. Because I mean, like, I mean, there's probably somewhere that tells you exactly when the second act starts, the third act starts. Oh, sure. But like, you know, it's, you can usually tell. But like, for me, it felt like this first act was maybe the first 45 minutes of the movie yeah where it, they, it was him going through college it was they really being, develop oppenheimer yeah it was him meeting florence Pugh's character going through different professors meeting different friends that you think are just throwaway characters that actually come back later on in the movie to be on the manhattan project with him yeah it's you know all this it really doesn't and like he gets his own classroom and he's only teaching one student i would say the second act of the movie really doesn't start until he's until, on the Manhattan Project, I was going to say, say. Until he meets Matt Damon, yeah. General Groves, yeah, I would and say is appointed that, to the Manhattan yeah. Project. Well, and it's funny too, like, you, so like we go over all that, like we see him going through like camping trips and like you know him bouncing around ideas of you know like he reads communist books, he goes to communist parties, but he also reads all these other books. He has no true affiliation to any political party. Which is, he I think just, is rare for the time. I mean, yeah, he just he's such an out-of-the-box out kind of genius guy. Um, and I had this quote um, from Killian Murphy. Um, so playing this role, I think a lot of the the actors and actresses mentioned that, you know, these this movie really kind of challenged them them um to develop their craft and their skill um like robert downey jr um is the funny guy he's the arrogant kind of asshole and this time he kind of had to be the cunning all of that is kind of below the surface and so he kind of had to reach in the toolbox you know and and do maybe what he wasn't so great at and find a way to make it great um and killian murphy mentioned this quote him and him and christopher nolan were talking about oppenheimer who the kind of guy he was how he was to be portrayed and nolan gave him this quote and he said um he's just the guy that's dancing in between the raindrops and i thought that was such a crazy beautiful yeah thought-provoking quote because it really is a balance between the love of science this stress and anxiety and you know he kind of as normal as a, a man with his mind can be he had a normal life until groves came in and was like you're doing this for the united states government well no groves didn't say you're doing this at first he was like i don't even really want you well and then Oppenheimer was like, well, I don't even know if I want to be a part of it. Yeah. And Matt or Groves was like, well, what would you do? Yeah. And that's when Oppenheimer went to the chalkboard and was like, well, it's not really possible. He's like, but if I were to do it, this is how I start the theory and like just started writing all this stuff. Yeah. And then he really caught Groves' attention. Well, and here's my, I think, here's my ignorance is I feel like in school it was World War II. It was Pearl Harbor, and then we bombed Japan. I feel like the middle, this entire story is like, actually, I think probably why I enjoyed it so much is it's not a reused storyline. It's, to me, brand new. 
It's yeah. unique. It's a story that I feel like a lot of people, unless you are an avid history reader and that's something that you're, that knowledge that you um, surround yourself with, like me personally, I didn't know how much I didn't know about point A to point B and, um, you know, everything that went into that. Like that's, this Oppenheimer story is, is brand new. It's a, it's a unique storyline. Well, I'm like, this is getting away from Oppenheimer a little bit, but like, like you said, it's a history piece you never knew about, which social media can be good for if you're on the right side of social media, because there's plenty of stuff I've learned about that I hear on social media, I research, cool. But like, it's also, you know, directors like Christopher Nolan, who have such a passion for, you know, telling a story, but they want it to be so factually accurate that you will hear about these things. Like, Hacksaw Ridge is a movie I would have like or a battle I would have never known about. I know we took Okinawa, I know we fought in the Pacific. Yeah. But like, I mean, it's like stories like that. You but know, it like you, jumps. I feel like, you know, in history class and in school yeah, and growing but, up, it's like well, the, you know about what I know to. about it's World War II. The cult of the American hit like education. Style. Yeah. They don't teach you enough and they like to hide a lot of stuff. Yeah. Which I mean, every you know, country. Is that fault for there's we, all... we got our we got our our strengths oh, yeah. and weaknesses you, for sure i remember in school it was maybe a two-minute conversation in history class about how we in america also had not to the extent of what they had but we had our own version of concentration camps yeah like but you know again it was a two-minute conversation that goes through so many kids ears and right out the other so many people still don't even know about it yeah so i think this story it was just a lot of new information to me um, about how this all came to be. Because I feel like, again, in real life, it's boom. Suddenly we just have this bomb and we we dropped it over there and that's it. Um, so I think they did a really great job at kind of showing the stress. Well, you yeah. know, so you take this team of people who I would argue and somebody fact check me. Um like kind of targeted the the biggest brains and the biggest minds of the time, right? Like who's yeah, going to help you do this? Is the that we're also still able to be semi trusted by the theoretical fierce, yeah, physicists. And um, so you have these team men, women, the brightest minds, and kind of tasked with this job. So again, they're they're coming at them, and you have to save the world. The clock is ticking. Um, Oppenheimer Jewish? Yes, I believe. So. Did I make that up? I believe so. I'm Jewish, and people on the team were Jewish, um, because we have our. I am unfortunately um not remembering the character's name, but Oppenheimer says, "Well, how long have you been British?" And the guy responds, "Um, as long as since Hitler told me I was no longer German." Yeah, you know. So there's people on the team. So you have to kind of think about the feelings of these people that are in the United States who are Jewish, um, on this team who probably have feelings about Germany at this time and things that were happening to their their people, their culture. Um, you have the United States government bringing breathing down their neck of, you have to save the world. This is your duty to your country and it's treason if you don't, or if you're you know sharing secrets with the communists, whatever. Um, so I feel like it's not so cut and dry of the United States made this bomb and everybody agreed with it. And that's what happened. I feel like the this team, this Manhattan Project, 
had to make a lot of sacrifices. They moved their family to this godforsaken place in New Mexico. Yeah, they in built Mexico. an entire brand new town in New Mexico upon Top Hobbit, secret. Oppenheimer like showed them where they should build it, and it was called Los Santos, which I did research the other day on it, and I, it's one of the largest because it's still around today. It's one of like the largest like nuclear research facilities, yeah, or radiation research facilities. I think it's nuclear, which would make sense, obviously. Um. One of my favorite small details in this movie, too, was on that first meeting in Oppenheimer's classroom was they, he asked Oppenheimer, he was like, what would you do with this? He explains. And then Oppenheimer asks him, he goes, what are they doing for you? He goes, they're going to make me general for this. Yeah. And then and next scene we see him, he has been promoted Pretty from general. a colonel to a brigadier general. Yeah. So, um, and again, we, we've mentioned this a couple of times throughout throughout talking in the podcast is there's so many layers we're definitely not going to hit everything with Robin no, and there's um, a movie I can watch and I feel like every time you'll watch it you'll catch something because again you know switching between timelines I kept up I think fairly well I understood what was happening yeah no, but no, I feel no. like there's other facts and things like oh that's you know that's well, what there's other stuff that no one's going to understand like the astromechanics that they talk about or the yeah so um but, like, they break it down to enough level that, like, the average Joe will be able to enjoy this movie still no matter what. I think the anxiety building was really a great part of this movie. I think the cast portrays it well. If you good. notice, um, Killian Murphy's features, so I think it was all across social media now that the movie's out, was that, um, you know, his cast, you know, teased him, like, well, you only eat an almond a day. He got really emaciated for this movie. Um, it was rumored, maybe fact, that he declined their invitations, like dinner or breaks oh, yeah, or lunches. He, he, he was 100% invested dinners. in this. And you can see, um, in, so he's not, he's never a full figure. Like he, he no. always is very, very thin. Well, yeah. And there's multiple scenes where he is also naked. Yeah. So he's, he's very, so you see like, you know, ribs. He's yeah. a very thin man. But, um, you know, when it's color and it's his perspective before he gets involved in this Manhattan project, he's thin, but he looks he, somewhat healthy. He's he, got he, a color just, to him. His, he looks like a guy with a best metabolism. Yeah. Like but he, towards the end, when you're in those black and white scenes, um, or, and he is under, you know, he understands it's really a tragedy. You know, he he's created this thing that no man has created before. Um and then realizes pretty much too late the the consequences that it could have and and had and did um and so he, yeah. his it's sunken i mean he gets oh, yeah. so he's you take this already thin really emaciated looking character and it's as the movie yeah. progresses and that stress and anxiety builds i can't imagine which is such a crazy thing too, because this movie that. only took 56 days to shoot yeah like thank god so or Killian Murphy would be no more. a breeze. <laughs> yeah. Real quick. Um, don't talk about like the boardroom scene yet where he's like in the basketball gym and like you see like the woman's face melting off and everything. Oh, okay. that like a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I mean, Killian Murphy, <laughs> this was some serious method acting on his part. Yeah. And it was, yeah, I mean, there's parts where it's like haunting to look at him. Like, yeah. Just with how thin he is, especially like, if you're a Peaky Blinders fan, I'm like, yeah, because Tommy's got some meat on him. He's got a yeah. full face. He's he. I think the angles in in Peaky Blinders is shot to make Tommy look. He's the big dog in charge. He's muscular. Oh, yeah. 
he's you know he oh, yeah. a soldier he's, he's the king of Birmingham yeah and yeah. so he's a tough guy you don't you don't fuck with him and um if you are a fan of Killian you know that that's I think Tommy's a little bit outside of what his normal physique and what his roles normally look like I think he kind oh, of plays yeah. a I thinner mean, guy even in Scarecrow and Nolan he's not like, he doesn't ever play like a heartthrob buff guy is what I'm saying no. But Tommy, he's got a little bit more meat on him, and so you, if you're if you're familiar with Peaky Blinders and you know Killian in that role, and then to see him in Oppenheimer, so frail, yeah, so so weak, yeah, it's on, it's daunting to look at. <laughs> One thing I would love to talk about a little bit more, um, we were going to touch on it, um, Kitty, Kitty. So Kitty is played by Emily Blunt. Um, she plays his wife in this Honestly. movie. She needs to be talked about as one of the badass female characters on the screen. So I want to talk about I want to talk about my feelings toward her and how they changed throughout this movie. So you meet Kitty, um, they're flirting. It was a communist party. She used to be a part of the communist party. No. Um, and they meet at like this social oh, yeah, gathering. She, she was. Wasn't she someone's wife? She was someone's wife. Um. Anyway, husband either divorced, passed away, whatever. They were already having marital issues. Yeah. So, anyways, to set the stage, um, you meet her. She's, you know, I don't really think twice about her. They have a meeting, they have a drink, whatever. Um, they go on like this mountaintop. It's romantic. They make out, whatever. Um, and then you, I don't know if you caught this, but um, Oppenheimer is Kitty's fourth husband. Um, really? Fourth husband. Okay. And um, so again, the criticism of like the female roles, I'm tossing that to the garbage because at first you're like, this lady's kind of an asshole because she's so rough around the edges. This is her fourth husband. You don't really feel like she's invested. She's like, whatever, you go to work. They have a um, children who she just, Yeah, I think they, I think they touch, I think rewatching it, I think I would pick up more. It's like postpartum issues. Like she's really struggling fitting into this housewife, mother crying baby, you know, it's hard on her. She's drunk a lot. She's drinking. Um, And so you're like, what the fuck? Like this lady's kind of a dick. Like, yeah, that's her role. They're like, she's like kind of, you know, trying to like have sex with him and then like he kind of says no like we should handle our crying baby and she's like well fine go fuck yourself you know storms off yeah to the point where they even um have another couple watch their their child for a while a couple months um so add that to the stress of almost ruining the world um being (laughs) you know stepping up to the plate and having to be like in a way single father and and have to pass your kid off because you're busy working for the u.s government and your wife's drunk and having crazy me- mental health issues oh yeah um but i saw this interview with emily blunt and she i love the way she described kitty it was she's complicated she's gritty she doesn't fit that stereotypical 1940s housewife she's not always done up and perfect and to- you know taking care of the house and the children um but damn it, she does what she fucking has to do. She's oh. in survival mode. This is her fourth husband. And in a weird way, they are soulmates. Yeah. The way that she gets underneath his skin and and gets him to be who he needs to be in the most important times, incredible. I thought that character development, because she goes from your like, oh, nice lady he meets to, oh, That's she's pretty. And she's got the most perfect spoiler alert 
ending scene, that interview oh, scene yeah. where she absolutely bangs. 16, I love that yeah. scene. Oh, sorry, 17, 18, 18 years, yeah. years ago. Yeah. So, um, you know, to set the stage for the viewers, it's the scene towards the end of the movie where um, they're interviewing uh, Oppenheimer's character about potentially they're trying to renew his security clearance and this the bombings happened and they're well, they're and kind of he's not a communist and prove he's not a communist or a you know a threat to security to the nation um national security threat and um all these ridiculous things everything that man has done you know or did you know put on the line for them and they're gonna pretty much just bash him and demonize him and villainize him um, and she sits down, it's her turn to be interviewed, and she absolutely just destroys every man in that room. And so, but, and so I think the, the women in this movie play an incredible role um, for every genius, you know, male figure and, and brain that there's a woman behind them at that time that was like, Why well, actually, this is how it is. That's not the scene I was thinking of when you were talking about how she's kind of like, a badass or like you know were you thinking her shit together? he like but, found out uh, about gene that's another scene where she absolutely just yeah gets in there. he's like drunk asleep in like the snow like because mm. he's just like so heartbroken she like finds him and she's like you need to get your shit together <laughs> and that scene is super she smacks him yeah and what's really adorable is emily blunt was like terrified to slap killian murphy and like sink his cheekbones even <laughs> more into it to his face um yeah she's powerful yeah her influence. well and then the whole time she's like yelling at him through the trial like why won't you fight him you know like you know it's Strauss. like quit tr- like backing down yeah and then so and- finally she shows up to like prove exactly what taylor's just saying like that final scene in front of the lawyers where she just destroys everyone in that room it's because she finally decided that her husband wasn't going to fight so she needed he's, to step yeah, up yeah she's gonna she do it to, for like, him yeah she needed to like stand prove by the him. point yeah you know, fight back because he wasn't going to he was just gonna keep taking it one of my favorite things about kitty when she sticks to her guns is um for everyone who's seen the movie there and again i'm awful with names it's been a week but the scientist who actually kind of turned on oppenheimer he wanted to Edward focus Teller. yeah tell he wanted to um focus more on a different you know bomb theory hydrogen bomb, hydrogen bomb theory yeah, the H bomb and Oppenheimer, you know, wasn't they weren't really on the same page and having the same ideas. And so again, I guess personal vendetta kind of took that um and was like, hey, he's on a security threat, but frick that guy, you know, and kind of really screwed Oppenheimer in front of the council at that point. And um on his way out, you know, because Oppenheimer's in the room, he can hear everything this, you know, this close once close colleague was saying about him. Um, they shake hands and Kitty finds out about it and she is like wild she was like i would have spit in his face there's no way i would have shook his hand so they fast forward to where um at the end where he's receiving at the end he he finally you know you gotta think about everything this man has gone through finally it flashes years later um and he's getting awarded for his service and his patriotism um and teller's back and he's trying to shake the hand and again um, Oppenheimer shakes his hand and he reaches out to Kitty and the look that she gives him that audience felt that it got cold <laughs> in there um so yeah I think my soapbox is maybe I'm just feeling this way because we talked about Barbie first but the the female characters in this movie were badass yeah 
was such a male dominated and focused. Cast. Yes, at Which, that time uh, for a period piece. Anyway. I was say, it needed to be for the period piece. Yes, for the story, for, for story the characters, for the biopic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, and then like one of the scenes, <clears throat> and it's such like a minuscule part of the movie too. But like that I liked is when they first show up to Los Santos. He puts out two fish bowls for each of the bonds they're trying to build. Yeah. And he just has marbles, marbles that drops in to show how close they are to actually making this happen. Uh, I love that part, but like the scene that's like one of the craziest. Also, my biggest worry going into this movie was Josh Peck. <laughs> Such a random it's, worry. He's okay. Yeah. He was 30 in, seconds, maybe. He's in Dragon Josh. It's not real. I mean, a phenomenal show. Love it. Staple much out of not great acting. Oh, and then, like, he's a YouTube star now. Mm. Like the biggest movie he's been in, arguably, besides this one now, was the remake of Red Dawn. Yeah. Which is not a good movie. Yeah. The original's way better. So I was very concerned about him going into this. Now, I'm not saying, obviously, if Christopher Nolan chooses you, he sees something, he knows you have something. Yeah. You, I think he, pull out he even thinks about even the minute, yeah, smallest the, roles. It's the whole iron sharpens iron, though. Like, you know, Nolan. Like I said, one of the greats. Expects excellence, He's too. going to film until you get it right. Yeah. So if he casts you, though, he knows you can get it right. Now, with that being said, Josh Peck had maybe, what, three lines? Yeah. Uh, his that, his biggest thing was um, pushing the button. Yeah. That he might the have destroyed the, the world. Well, and that's what I'm getting to is, like, one of the, like, best lines in the movie, too, is they're, you know, preparing. It's the night. They're dropping the bomb. And then... It's just General Gross, Matt Damon, and then Oppenheimer killing Murphy. <laughs> and Oppenheimer kind of tells him that this might not be successful and something can go seriously wrong. And Groves is like, what are you talking about? And Oppenheimer's like, there's a chance it could burn the Earth's ozone layer and we what kill is, the entire world. What is the um, phrase that they use? Well, and he was like... Close to zero. Or he was something. like, what are the chances of that? And he was like, near zero. Near, near <laughs> zero. And then he was like, near <laughs> and he's like, that'll be all right. And he was like, I'd rather it be zero. <laughs> yeah. And what, which goes to his scientific part of his brain that that doesn't happen in science. You can never fully guarantee anything, you know, well, yeah, that's, in that that's situation. One of okay. my favorite scenes that I really wanted to touch on was so, so, you know, just capturing to the audience, I'm sure, was so beautiful in a weird way actually the explosion yeah, it, that's what it I was wasn't up to, this was the scene where like the news right before like, two minutes before they yeah exploded. so they hit this button for this this test this detonation and you see all these soldiers like lying on the ground facing away from it yeah they genuinely don't know what's they don't happen. know what's gonna happen and they don't know what they're exposed to they give them all mirrors and they're like don't look at it until the light is over top of you yeah um, but the way it's shot is not your stereotypical like action movie explosion. It almost slows down. Um, it's a beautiful like musical score in different oh, parts. It's amazing orchestra and channel. So it's this beautiful scene, the most gorgeous orange hues. Um, which I think, again, symbolism in this movie, I feel like, was really big because it's this weapon of destruction, of death, of, you know, look at what it's turned the world into. That was a, a definitely a, a moment in history that changed completely. To, we can never go back to a time before that was created. 
Um, so again, you know, all taking all of that into account, but the scene that was shot, the flames rolling on top of each other, um, and it kind of expands out. But in a way, you know, an explosion is you press the button, boom, it's so fast. But the it, the way it's shot is so like almost like a choreographed dance. It's so slow. It's so beautiful. The color, the score that's accompanying it. Um, and it kind of goes back to those scenes that kind of relate to Oppenheimer before where he can see the science and everything slows down. He can see, you know, the molecules in the water around his room. He can see the atoms in the air. And yeah. I think that, I think for me, that's one of my favorite scenes. Oh, it's one of the weirdest. It's the weirdest. Experience yeah. I've ever had because the whole theater is so silent. So, yeah. And like, it, it's in IMAX, so that boom is going to be huge, and it's, it's so delayed. It's dead silent for, I think, it's like a minute 56. Like, it feels like an eternity. Yeah. And, like, almost towards the end, you're, like, looking around, like, you know, whoever you went with or just the rest of the theater, you're like, is, is there going to be a noise? Like, you know, like, everyone's talking about this, and then just... <laughs> yeah, so, um, and, yeah, I remember I, I jumped. You jumped hard. Yeah, because that is so... So, okay, you go and you see this on your... your as close as you can be IMAX. It's huge. And you're so captivated by this color. It's because it's not... A, it's a beautiful scene. It's not what you would expect an explosion to be like. And only if you have seen it can you kind of understand what I'm talking about. But, um, you know, in the action movies where it's like... And then it's like one big boom and it's over. Everyone ducks. Well, that's why this is so slowed. And that sound is so delayed. And it's why I'm preaching to people, you need to see it now while it's still in IMAX. Don't yeah, in theaters. Format. Don't wait for it to be on streaming. Go see it now in IMAX. Um, yeah, it's, it's an experience for sure. Yeah, it's an experience um, I won't forget for a very long time. And it almost shows the power, the range. Because if you remember, there's bases that are miles apart, like points where this team, A team is going to yeah, be so here, like B team's here. miles away east. B team, I think, was 32 miles away north. And there yeah. was like C team that was like 40 miles away south. So like huge like distance. I mean, if you think about oh, it, yeah. massive difference. Um, and so probably by the time that the light and sound traveled to each of those teams, it kind of, you know, flashes to each, you know, where everyone is. And then that sound is delayed. Um, so probably very symbolic of the weapon itself for the people that must have been on the other end of that. Yeah. I, well, I can't imagine. And, then, and so the irony of that scene being so beautiful and what it's portraying is just. Well, and like the other thing too is like, <clears throat> what's funny, or well, I mean, I'm not taking away from you, what you said. Yeah. You said it all yeah. perfect. <laughs> but like right after the noise goes off, the whole theater jumps out of their seats. Yeah. Like you see Oppenheimer go meet General Groves and they're like high-fiving. Everyone's like praising celebrating, yeah. He did. And then just like nothing, it flashes to the next scene of them boxing up two bombs, the army taking it away, and Oppenheimer almost being thrown to the dirt. Like Yeah. Picture you dated this guy or this girl and bought them everything, nice dinners, new wardrobe, and they got what they wanted and they were like. By like that was the U.S. government and Oppenheimer. You know, it's well, so used and so and took this so guy who I don't really think saw that until maybe it was. He's a very smart guy. He did see a lot of what people thought he'd missed out on because he was such a genius mind. But I don't know if 
he was expecting, I wonder maybe if he was even, well, and you know, realized that there was a throwaway line in the beginning where he was kind of like, what happens after I build it though? Like, what do I get? Yeah. Einstein tried to warn well, him. You, flat, you, so um, the beginning scene where um, Oppenheimer meets Einstein for the first time, they're by this pond. They talk. The well, not the first time in the movie. movie. Um, yeah, not that they have had this really long had, relationship, yeah, but the first time you see them interact in the movie, um, they're by this pond, they talk and you don't hear what they're saying. And it wraps perfectly in a bow full circle, um, towards the end. And you get that yeah, conversation. It's the very end scene. Yeah. It's the ending scene and it's incredible. And he's kind of asking him, you know, well, what happens now? Um, and Einstein is really blunt with him and goes, you know, they're going to demonize you. They'll kick you to the curb and then, you know, give it time 10 years from now, then you'll get your awards and your flowers and your praise. And, um, well, yeah. But like, so they're stuck in Los Santos and then they're just listening to the radio and they hear that the bomb has been dropped. So, you know, like it's still kind of Oppenheimer getting his flowers. Cause then from here it shows him, he goes and meets Truman (sighs) and he like tells Truman that he's like, you know, he's like, I'm, like just feeling immense you know regret about this or remorse like you know so he's like feeling he's telling truman he feels this immense regret remorse yeah because he feels like he's responsible for the deaths of hundreds thousands of people and he's always consistent he was always against the h-bomb he didn't want more development into this research because he knew if he built this it's gonna he knew what he did yeah bigger and worse weapons and then like you know and then truman's like son did you press the button did you drop the bomb no i did nobody gives he's a like, fuck about you like, that blood's on my hands not yours and he looks at the secretary of defense he's like now get this crybaby out of my office that's a true quote from truman that's not something that made was up. That's incredible a true quote. that was such a shocking scene and it goes back to the ignorance and the mindset of oh, the yeah. time and the really that was patriotic I can't, I can't imagine how people must have felt. And if you said it wasn't patriotic, how you must have been chastised for that. Yeah. Um, just incredible. It's such a hard thing to like, say it was the right thing to do because genuinely you don't know what Japan was going to do. Well, I I think these, if they would have ever quit. I think these, um, the movie, the, you know, these are impossible moral questions that don't have answers. Yeah. It's for every if every man and woman's opinion for themselves. And I just can't imagine. I think this I would say this is the perfect movie, perfect cast, perfect storytelling, um, beautifully shot, beautiful score, beautiful um, you know, wardrobe, um, dark humor. I mean, it's got everything, really. And I, it's so thought-provoking like we said we could talk about it all night probably well and then the scene with truman leads into the best scene in the entire movie he's giving a speech and yeah you really like, wanted to talk about this he's so excited it's, it's yeah the best scene in the entire movie so he walks in the gymnasium's already roaring for him to give his speech you this know, is when he was still in praise right like the bombs were successful yeah. and and you know he walks in and he starts his speech just like anyone would, like a little bit of stage fright, but like, you know, it's maybe, what would you say, 60 people in the room? I, it, it's hard um, because it's from Oppenheimer's perspective. And at this point, he's getting 
well yeah so lightheaded it's kind of lightheaded yeah but this is where like everyone's kind of like getting controversial about the movie yeah tell me (laughs) tell me what happens in the scene connor it's so good it's so powerful so he's like getting shaky lightheaded and he looks up to try and like catch his breath and he looks at this woman whose face is like melting off of her body because he's like envisioning what has happened to the people of japan yeah well and then you know he's like trying to collect himself and he just says like you know it's a great day to be an american to try and rile the crowd and he tries to walk off and he gets stuck and then the Such... camera hands down oh. to him being stuck inside of a, a burned, per, a yeah. burned corpse like their torso and he like is struggling it's to just like foot out you know and it porous because it's just it, the effect it sends chills down your spine it does and, like, it has horror movie like and what because of this what a juxtaposition yeah i read a quote it was like what a horror movie that's not a horror movie well and apparently this was like the scene that kind of sent nolan over the like he's like this is the scene that i want you know that kind of made it this was nolan's first rated r movie yeah so and what a juxtaposition of having these Americans waving flags and it's such a patriotic moment. You would think that we had just won all of the Olympics. Like it people are waving flags, people are cheering, people are clapping, we won the war. Um, and he here he is, you know, physically saying, like, what a great day to be an American. This was an act of patriotism. And then underneath that facade, his vision starts to go. He's sweating profusely you can see the physical toll of the stress I'm, i i picture like nausea you know sweaty weak can barely stand and his vision goes and the room is spinning and then he just sees the crowd so you have one country who is claiming this was patriotic and is in cheering and hugging their families and juxtaposed to a country whose families were melting and which is like, vaporizing and is crispied and just which is the perfect awful. Time said where he was like one of the few people in America at the time that had all these open views. He wanted to understand yeah. multiple cultures and everything. Yeah, for as political and in your face as Barbie was, I feel like Oppenheimer was more of just being open and honest. Like it, it was political because it had to be because of the time, because of policies yeah. Which and, is and funny because nuclear. If you didn't tell me anything about the movie, so I would have said they were the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. I would think that, you know, going into the movie, it's like Oppenheimer is like war in America and rah. And oh, yeah. And um, and Barbie would be like the fun, and it's about a, a a Barbie. And but I feel like they're really opposite. Is um really pro political Barbie, and really just admitting our wrongs, kind of you know yeah. trying to acknowledge. Like I said, this isn't a story that I don't think ever has really been talked about or told, unless you're in that field or that's your you know you enjoy reading and you really know about it, or you you know I'm had sure. yeah. stories from grandparents or parents that you know was it we're alive which i've never heard anybody talk about it so um yeah and one of the people i didn't think, talk about either was david crumholtz yeah he was the more overweight uh scientist yeah Alzheimer's right hand man pretty much there's so many lines in this movie that like could be deemed throwaway but were also vastly important yeah <laughs> like in the beginning he didn't want to be on the manhattan project because he was like i don't know if i can be a part of something that's going to kill on thousands people. of people and Oppenheimer was like, I don't know if I want to be either, but I don't want to be on the receiving end when Germany beats us to it. Yeah. 
So again, it really touches on these moral issues. There is no, we'll never yeah, know. No we'll we'll never we'll never know what it would be like if if he didn't or um, if I'm sure there's people that argue we didn't even need it because you know the only ones that had it backed off it. The only thing we hadn't had yet was VJ Day. Yeah, we had VE Day already. Everything else so deep. Oh. So such an incredible experience to watch and rami malik had one of those powerful ah scenes. yeah he's got this okay you want to talk about america ferrera's monologue and barbie rami malik has just an incredible oh, monologue um so he's in the scene he's in the movie for like maybe five seconds and like a lot of people might have missed him but he gets yeah he gets to get oppenheimer to sign a petition don't worry he gets his moment of well of and that's in the shine and imax when strauss is on trial he's on trial. he's on yeah, he's, he's on um he's being interviewed to be you know appointed the board of a member of congress. of congress yeah and to then, be a senator and then i believe Meek's character comes in uh david hill in the movie absolutely crushes him it's down his throat that's yeah that's an incredible metaphor honestly one of my other favorite characters in this entire movie was alden heinrich's character Mm -hmm. you know that is Mm -hmm. so han solo (laughs) young han solo but he kind of plays i think not a lawyer position for strauss but like almost like an advisor maybe yeah like a right-hand man yeah yeah team member pr but like you can tell he like really doesn't want to be there with strauss at all and it's such an incredible scene because you have this anxiety of oh my god he's you know got a he's tasked with this impossible thing they think he's a and then you get through that and you have like this brief relief as an audience that it's done and then it smacks you right back into the stress of trying to label him a communist and he's a villain and he's a national security threat. And you you feel sorry for this man. I mean, you feel like you just want him to win. Leave him alone. Leave Oppenheimer alone. Yeah. And he's in this tight room. And then you find out that this is all a ploy. Strauss is behind this committee that's interrogating him. He's trying to blacklist his name, ruin his reputation. It's just the point that Oppenheimer is like just getting on TV or radio or interviewing as much as he can because the only way he feels safe is if the media is watching Public, him. yeah. He, because he feels like it's genuinely gonna happen to him and honestly it might have because of strauss yeah and so you just all of this anxiety and tension and rooting for the underdog and rami malik comes in and absolutely blows the lid on strauss's whole ploy and it's the really big plot twist at the end of the movie which makes it i mean from start to finish incredible um and finally you're like you feel you know vindicated that this you know this the underdog one yeah. you know and oppenheimer kind of loses all his life in peace but they didn't show the movie and i read the other day apparently i don't know if it was after he won his award i think it was before and he came back but apparently after all the stress that his name had been cleared after mm-hmm. the trial you see in the movie him and his wife and kids went down and lived in the, i think it was the virgin islands <laughs> like, listen he just bought a house to get away from everything nothing relieves stress more than the ocean in the tropics and the caribbean so i'm all for it yeah i feel like that's scientifically proven no i I feel like i feel like in a way if you you know i feel like you know robert Oppenheimer and the bomb are two different entities that are 
unfortunately forever entwined no matter how innocently or guilty guilty you want to you know twist them together um but i'm glad that he got to to live out his life in peace on the beach and get away from just such madness and just because I don't think he was ever in peace he was he was fully aware of what he created um he compares himself to um as a Greek the tragedy of um you know stealing the fire from the gods and giving it to humans you know yeah. the destroyer of of men and worlds and things so he was fully aware i don't i'm sure he saw you know saw that in his dreams constantly so i don't okay. he let's I, not be yeah let's not be mistaken that you know living the rest of his days in peace he was i guarantee was always oh, always yeah, tortured not like they, it's not like they have the medicine they do today to help with psychology you're psych- your psyche or like they didn't have people you could talk to all the time and i think one of the best lines by far in this movie is during the trials like where he's just in that room and his lawyer is in there um i forget who it was you were talking about earlier the guy um oh my god what is his name sappy um Mm. well that's the actor's name but teller edward teller who emily Bowen shakes hand at the end yeah after he gives his statement that's pretty much making it seem like oppenheimer's guilty of being a communist mm. oppenheimer's lawyer looks defeated and sits down next to oppenheimer and oppenheimer just looks at him and goes when will people hear the truth about this that's one of the best lines in the movie yeah that's powerful so um well because his voice is breaking and like he he's accepted defeat at this point yeah which again leads up to this point where you're like, I just wish I could help this man, this poor, emaciated, just depleted shell of a man. Um, and so the it's and like I said, perfect movie from start to finish. You as an audience, you get a little bit of that closure. Um, you know, for as heavy as the movie is with all these moral dilemmas, um, all these historical what ifs at the end you get a little a little sense of closure that um this man for all that he was he did and and was put through despite his personal i'm sure demons was people knew the truth about what happened um which is another reason why i'm glad this story exists and people in mass <laughs> will go see it in the cinema yeah. um and that Killian Murphy is finally getting his flowers his flowers yeah yeah he deserves them after all this time such a great guy such a private guy such really about the craft not the celebrity um really about storytelling and is just truly a great actor and genuinely i think there's going to be five nominations for acting alone in this yeah i think kelly murphy lead male actor frankly i think he's the front runner at the moment mm-hmm. then, i would agree and the supporting emily blunt will get supporting nominee uh and matt damon matt damon male supporting rdj and i think um yeah i think robert Downey jr will win yeah he, he was, was incredible unbelievable and he even like said that he thought working with marvel for so long he's going to lose some of his acting ability well yeah and, and so well and that goes to show the kind of the quote that he was like you know i'm 
play certain characters and you get really good at it and that's what you're known for that's what you you like and you're comfortable with and this really forced him he in his well, own words forced him Evans turned down the role of captain america twice in the beginning he didn't want to be known for one role yeah get stuck in now i mean i he was the perfect captain america and i think chris evans does have some acting but not like rdj does and he was incredible and real in this florence Pugh could get a nomination but i don't mm. think i don't think she will Rami Malik, again, could. Don't think he will. Because I just don't think they are on screen long enough. Yeah, but still powerful, powerful yeah. characters. Yeah. An Oscar nomination does not, you know, equate to their importance oh, to yeah. the film. I think this movie will be up for Best Picture. Yes. Best Original Soundtrack. Yes. Uh, best Director. Best Everything. Yeah. It'll be fun to see how Barbie and Abba, and two completely different movies with a lot of the same qualities with completely different you know so much different so much alike yeah how they'll battle it out and how supportive the cast of are you know frankly i don't think either with each other win best soundtrack yeah i think it'll be across so like we were saying i mean this movie i argue right now it should be movie of the year yeah i, I agree see, i see a lot of people putting across the spider-verse above it i don't need to take across the spider-verse was phenomenal in its own right well, I, I can't speak because I didn't see it. Yeah. But this was just such a powerful film in every category yeah. for me personally. I'm usually I'm not a fan of musical biopics, or I haven't been yet. Um biopics are always hit or miss with me. This one was a hit. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a nine point seven out of ten for me on my scale. I agree. And for quick context before we wrap my Nolan rankings, I have yet to see Insomnia. So in 11th place, it's following. Then The Dark Knight Rises, Batman Begins, Interstellar, Tenet, Dunkirk, Memento, Inception, Dark Knight, The Prestige at number two, Oppenheimer at one. Yeah. And you can call it recency bias if you want, but leading up to this movie, I watched all of Christopher Nolan's filmography outside of Insomnia, obviously. And the only ones I had seen out of those prior was Interstellar and the Batman trilogy. All the other ones are new watch, so they're all recency bias. Yeah, that's Call fair. Call it what you want. <laughs> that's just my take. Yeah, I there's a lot to divulge on both. I think we had a really good conversation about both Barbie and Oppenheimer. Yeah, we could talk another five hours. Oh my gosh, we could have days. multiple episodes just on these. You could have multiple people on their takes. It was incredible. Um, moral of the story is there's two incredible, amazing, well done, perfect <laughs> in their own way films in theaters. Go see it, go see it with your friends, and then see it a third time. Um, and I will say, you don't need to see Barbie and IMAX. So if you are not, you know, wanting to go see a double feature, if you are trying to prioritize one over the other, Right now, prioritize Oppenheimer while it is still a newer release and you are still able to see it in IMAX. Now, definitely still go see Barbie. It's fantastic. You'll have a lot of laughs, but no need to see it on a bit like in IMAX screen. See it on the big screen. It's still beautiful in its own right. Yeah. The color palettes it's are so phenomenal. pretty. Such a fun the set, set designs are great in it, but it's not something you need the biggest sound, the best quality, the best, you know, sound quality for. Yeah, so um, in the words of the great Killian Murphy, what a fantastic time for cinema. Two great films. Go check it out. Go have fun. Um, this is the biggest 
uh, box office weekend for movies since the pandemic. Yeah, I'm sure getting like it's the, best the love of movies back. back. Yeah, for sure. So. Um, I've loved being here with my husband. I've not only seen the behind the scenes work, but now I've seen the um, the active part of it. Uh-huh, you did more of talking. Stuff, yeah, so I, which is unfortunate because the sound of my own voice is just going to drive no, me nuts. Shut up. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I loved being a guest. If you didn't love me as a guest, um, please can you come and see yourself because my husband does have to live with me and I will, my psyche and just overall anxiety will not be able to handle it. I will never speak or leave the house again. Um, and I'll just follow him around and just absolutely crumble um anyways i've loved being here um thanks for having me i had a lot of fun um i wouldn't i wouldn't cross out being back on an episode or two depending on what the future holds um mm, we'll have to do a con girl episode at some oh point. my gosh we should do an episode every movie that taylor has shown connor that he had not seen before which like i said mm-hmm. is a rare occurrence so um all right well yeah is that a wrap that's yeah. a wrap Thanks for listening. Comment, share. There we go. Oh.